Hey everybody! Hello! W welcome to the show! Ooh! <laughs> new <laughs> intro, I like it! Yeah! Yep, episode 47! Oh! Here we We've go. never done this! No! <laughs> um, hi James! Hi Jake! Hi, and hello sweet, sweet listener! Uh, so, uh... And to, welcome! To praise Dionysus! Praise him! Praise him! <laughs> God. I don't know what sort of mood we're in, no. but it's the one we're in. <laughs> um, so yeah, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Day After Terrible Day by The Danger Ensemble, Trophy Boys by Emmanuel Matana, Reasons to be Pretty by Come One, Come All Productions. Great. So great. Sounds like a good mix. Yeah, we'll see how we handle it. Hi, Jake. Hello, James. Here we are. Yeah. Another day, another episode of Praise Dionysus. Praise him, yes. Yes. Yes, how are you going? Me? I'm good. I'm great. I'm all right. Uh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, you looked pretty morosely out the window while you were thinking Just about that Just thinking response. about life. It's been, been a big week. Lots of things have happened. Oh, God. Okay, then give me a star rating about your week. What happened? Okay, uh, well, I... <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? I... Had work, of course. Mm. I had my other job, which was like a hospitality thing that I do. I worked at a wedding for 17 people in the fanciest house in Melbourne. Yes, you showed me photos of this house and it's all beautiful like... Beautiful house. Like maroons and like jewel tones. It's like a gorgeous... Like brass like, fixtures. All these things and more. And like an indoor courtyard. Really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. uh, so worked that... For some rando's wedding. Some rando's wedding. They were lovely. It was a nice day. Mm. Um, we had a... Yeah, it was like all day. It like went from like the morning into like... Like six in the evening. Like, God, was, and were you serving them quiches that entire time? Serving quiches in the morning. Then they had like main substantial canapes in the early uh, afternoon. Then mm. they moved on to like a main course lunch, and then mm. they had dessert, and which was wedding cake. And then they had like dessert canapes. They had the works. And you were there for the full experience. Full of this Full experience. Wedding. There were three of us, three staff members. Wow. So they're really like. With, with, this sounds like an ad. With <laughs> choosing this company, they're really choosing new, like more guests for their wedding. You're there the entire time. Yes, we are there the entire time. It was quite personal. Sure. Quite, quite uh, intimate. We've um, really been, because of the, the, the two of us in our hospitality past that we share, we've, we've been, been privy to some real yeah. private moments and like yes. personal journey milestones. Mm. Like weddings, a couple of wakes, like so all sorts of fun things. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so that was what I did. I hope um, they're all doing well. I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> I am contractually obligated to say they are. Uh-huh. Uh, that was Friday. Then I went to like Williamstown and hung out with Flynn. Being my boyfriend, you? Flynn. Oh, happy days! You have a boyfriend. So That's delightful time. But your boyfriend lives in Williamstown. He does live in Williamstown. Bit of a red well, flag for me. It's a red flag. I would have called it quits. Well, I persevered. <laughs> so I've come from Williamstown this morning. I'm in Windsor now, and I'm going to go to the city later, and then I'll head up to Fitzroy North. It's a real, real journey for James. It is. Um, yep, yeah, that's been my. What would I give my week? Like, did you do anything fun with Flop? Not really, no, we had, well, yes, we're just spending time with him, is lovely. Um, <laughs> no, it sucked. I mean, I hated it. <laughs> no, it was a very low-key weekend. It's been busy, 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 so we just had a very low-key one, stayed in, we watched, what did we watch? We watched, um, we played Harry Potter Lego. How do you play Lego? On, on like, the, the Switch, like, you know the Lego games? I've got Lego. so many layers. Okay. The Lego video games, you know, like Lego Star Wars, Lego Harry Potter, Lego, you know, like I, they're classic video games. I know that they are constructible toys because of my sister's boyfriend's passion for constructing Star Wars Legos. Every now and again, you sound like an alien trying to be a person. I, do. <laughs> I have a family. I have family <laughs> friend who play Legos. Story here. Yeah. No. The, uh, so I know that Lego exists and like, that it is themed sometimes. Yeah. So you're telling me that there are games that you can play on consoles mm -hmm. 
in which the characters and worlds are constructed of Lego. Of Lego, that's exactly right. The, most of our listeners will know about these games. These, like, cultural milestones. Like, Lego Star Wars is the original big video game. And okay. they've also done Lego Harry Potter, which was really good. So we downloaded that and played that. That was most of our evening. Do you think it's, like, for... I don't know if you're a game developer. Is it harder mm. to make... Because you know how games are getting more and more realistic looking and all of yes. those incels got upset because the women were revealed to be having like very subtle facial hair as all women do and then all yes. the nerds got angry. And all the boobs are too small. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 and there was a woman that was like a, like a protagonist in Grand Theft Auto and they were all like, huh? <laughs> facial hair? Um, yes. Yeah, what was I saying? Is it is it more difficult to make Harry Potter into a Lego than into a convincing-looking young boy wizard? No, I think that's part of the reason those games were so popular when they were, because it was quite easy to make. Because you are just basically rendering 3D simple models. Like mm-hmm. It's just Lego, which is just... Like, they have simple surfaces. Mod, like, the new Lego movie... You know mm. the Lego movie? I've only seen the first one and then I tried to watch the Batman one and then I was like, oh wait, nope, I'm me. <laughs> I actually really like the Lego Batman movie. But. <laughs> You're a butt. Okay. That technology <laughs> is like really good because they can like simulate all like the fine details on the blocks, like scratches and like like light reflecting off of them. But in the Lego games, it's just like, fuck it, here's your 3D model. Just climp clomp. Climp clomp around. Done. Sure. Yeah. Is that what Minecraft is? It's the same premise, yeah, just blocks. It's just blocks. <laughs> That's the premise. That's the premise. That is the premise of Minecraft, yeah. Do you want to talk about Minecraft in this podcast? <gasps> Not even a little Not bit. Not even a little? How is it? I'll, okay, but so I think you're my window into this world. A world that every time I look through that window, I shut it. Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Draw the curtains. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it closing every time you do. Um, I would give my week, yeah. like... Oh, oh, helicopter. Oh, oh, I can't. Oh, there is a helicopter sound. Do you hear that? I hear the helicopter sound. Yes. Oh, God. Well, I guess it's war time. They found us. (laughs) Um, I would give my week, like, maybe... I can't think of, like, a fun number reference. Maybe, like, a... I'd give it a 10 out of 5. It was just a good good week. 10 out of 5? 10 out of 5, for no particular reason. But apparently the the, the saddest number, I think, is, like... No. It's that, the loneliest number you can ever do. Sure, but if two can be as bad as one, but it's the loneliest number since the number one. I was forced into a phase of listening to that song a lot. In <laughs> <laughs> what world? What situation? I know it sounds dark. It's not even... A quack, my, quack, quack. Quack, Not even one of my top ten miserable memories. It was during one of my earliest theatrical experiences. Uh-huh. I was in a, in a, in a, like a small university production of Christian Love, which is, is like, a, like a piece about us, like a, like a murderer. Ooh. And I played... The puppeteer. <laughs> All right. Because I was playing a man who was like, I played sort of like the background detective that would just sort of be like, Hey, you sit down. <laughs> and then because it was mostly like the, the head detective played by my friend Tegan, she was the detective investigating this potential murderer. Okay. Then I would be there sometimes wearing a vest being like, Oh, you shut up. <laughs> Look here, see? Yes. Yeah. And then Tegan would be like, calm down. And then she'd oh, be, the, be the lead detective. You were the bad cop. I was barely even anything. But then what the more substantial role that I played was that I additionally played the puppeteer who would maneuver and manipulate this puppet woman that was made out of newspaper scrunched up into pantyhose, formulated into the shape of a lady, and then I would like play like the women that he had murdered. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and throughout the process of this show, uh, one of the directors was really into that. One is the loneliest number song. And it's now a creepy have, song. It's a, well, yeah, especially when you're playing like yeah, pantyhose women, a murdered rape lady. Yes, Jesus, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it was it was like, it was like maybe like it was my first year of my like undergraduate degree in performing arts, and it was very much at the beginning of all this discourse surrounding like 
uh, like emotional safety and like, uh. like, ad- like advocating for yourself and putting up these boundaries. But I was also like an 18 year old buffoon. Yes. So it was this very strange thing of like, I feel fine, but because I'm playing like a raped puppet, I feel the need to like, should I be upset? I need to have a sit down. And then I started upsetting myself and it was like this whole journey. I don't know. We'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, I want to talk about that. that <laughs> sure. But anyway, it was a cool, it was a really cool time. I really appreciated it. Anyway. It's a great song. Uh, it's a fine song. It's very complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> Most things are, James. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, my week. Thanks for asking. Just you to call are. James. Yes. <laughs> I did. I said, what's well, your week? Yeah. No, no. But you know, you do the thing where it's like you act as if I wasn't going to ask you about yours. Well, you never do ask me about mine. Because I just know you're going to cut in with it. <laughs> and the vicious cycle continues. <laughs> These loops. <laughs> Um, week was fine. A highlight of it was I went to my pal Gemma. So Connor Dariol, mm-hmm. my good pal, mm-hmm. his partner, Gemma, mm-hmm. had a birthday party. Oh, that's right. And I attended it. How was it? I attended the crap out of it. Yeah. And it was great. It was at their house, like their, their apartment thing, which I'd never been to. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, you care about a person and now you can start beefing out their world with facts and like settings and locations. Yeah. Um, it was, oh my God, I love their apartment so much. Where's the apartment? You don't need to say where their apartment is on this Podcast, I have to go across a bridge to get there. Thank you. No problem. I know exactly where it is now. <laughs> That's all you needed. That's all I need. I got an Uber there because I misjudged the time it would take me to get there and also my capacity to get ready in time. Okay. Uh-huh. So further than I thought. All right. Uh, somewhat, yes. If I'd gone just by train, it would have taken me more than an hour to get there. Oh, okay. I'm giving you all the pieces you need to work out yeah. where this place is. Are we talking north side? I'm very bad at compasses. Okay. Uh, that's my entire answer. That's <laughs> bad answer. Um, yeah, no, above a massage parlor, and it's great. You got this staircase, and then it's just like these high ceilings, and this like, it's I don't know. It, it reminded me of Rent for some reason. Oh it sure. Was just it was like a bohemian wonderland. Fun, you know. Great. And it wasn't like overstuffed with junk. It was like charming and great. The, the, I enjoyed the people that I met there. I met a surprising number of like randos. Love, love meeting a person you that I can like talk to randos, about stuff. Yes. Yeah, when it works, it works. Mm, yeah, mm. I met some good ones. I met his like one of his brothers. He was good. Um, great. And that's I, at some point because I'm still like, especially then was still getting over my like COVID voice loss. True. Yes. So in the midst of like telling like a scintillating story and by scintillating, I mean sexual. I was telling a hot tale. What was the story? I can't tell you on this. Can you just hint at it? No, part of the reason that I was even telling the story is because I could, I could feel my voice going. And instead of dealing with the fact that my voice was disappearing, I was just like, somehow like mentally scrambling. Because Connor was, I was having this conversation with Connor and his brother and it went in this direction of like this sexual tale that occurred. And had I had a normal voice on, I would have been like, this whole experience has had, made me had a real reckoning with being able to speak. We're hearing my voice as it faded away from my throat. Yep. I was somehow leaning further and further into the sexual elements of this story because I thought that the hotter content would somehow overcompensate for my voice vanishing. Oh, okay. Well, had um, you... Had you... Mm-hmm. Were you <laughs> completely sober at this point? Yeah, no, yeah, I was That's so fine. Brain That's just how it, I was like, okay, my voice is disappearing. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you the part of my... <laughs> felching and imagine, And imagine that had been my voice disappearing forever. And the last thing I ever said was fisting and felching to Connor and his brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty good no, but then it was like, then there's pathetic thing of like, okay, guys, 
I'm gonna go and deal with the fact that I'm dying. And then I have to like scramble into Connor's room and then like have to do, you know when like in one of the Kill Bills, Uma Thurman like wills her paralysis to go away? Oh yes. And she's like staring at her feet. sexy nurse is around as well. Yeah, she has, I think she pulls out that nurse's eye and then she gets into that car somehow while her legs aren't working. I need to revisit this movie because there must be a scene between those two things. No, I think If a woman with no legs walked to a car. Mm. But then she's in the car and then Uma Thurman staring at her feet being like, come on you dumb sluts, we have to walk. (laughs) Oh, that rings some bells. Was that the second Kill Bill? I I think think so. The one with less action and humour and more pausing. (laughs) I've seen the first one more recently. Right, which makes sense. I think a high point of the second one is her unburying herself and a low point is like the 45 minute here's a sword Uma Thurman scene. What do you mean? Like, is she fighting? No, isn't there like a full like 45 minute, it felt long. That scene where she like visits the swordster and she's like, I need a really good sword. And he's like, Swords are pretty tricky, and also who the fuck are you? And Here's she's like, riddles. I'm Uma goddamn Thurman. And then I guess slaps him, and then he makes her a sword. I get Uma Thurman was in the producers. Yes. Ula Jonsen Flensen Charmansensen. Ula Inga Hansen Vansen Turlen Herlen Svavans Fonsen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I had to leave this conversation about sex that I'd accidentally fallen into. Then I had to walk. You to... often fall into these accidental conversations about Thank like, you. Sex. I seldom want to talk about sex, but I find myself doing it a lot. Yes. <laughs> I'm a very. Sexual, sexual person. Um, That's had, a lie. So I had to go, go to Connor's room and then just like tell my voice to work again. Did that work? It worked, James. I thought I was going to have to work, go Work, you home. stupid sluts. we got to talk out of here. Exactly. I had to Thurman ah. my voice back and I did it and I continued to party. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm a superhuman and give me a sword. Then I'll give it to you because I'm not a sword guy. I'd love to have a sword. You're much more of a sword guy. I'd love guy. to have a sword. Yeah. Um, a sword yeah. would be dream. Really great time. Stars? Stars. Ah. Stars, let's... Stars. Oh, I went straight to... yeah. Out in the dark. No. I've been listening to the Les Mis movie soundtrack a lot lately. It's an underrated soundtrack. I refuse to listen to the Anne Hathaway uh, I Dreamed a Dream because I only want to see it when I can see her face. Sure, because that's super close up. Super close up and she does so well. God, I love Anne Hathaway so much. She's great. She's great. great. She and cut her hair. So, for that role. For oh, that role. That's commitment. Natalie, um, No. Portman? Kira Knightley. Was it Natalie Portman or Kira Knightley in V for Vendetta? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, she had her hair cut in, in that scene. Incredible. Real, for really real, brave. by a professional barber. Hair does not just come back. No. No. Have you been recently exposed a lot to these, like, America's Next Top Model, like, revisit things? Uh, not recently, but I know exactly what you mean, and I was exposed to them for a while of, like, I cannot believe they did that. Oh my god, awful. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, no, the one that I was, like, recently thrown at was the one where it's, like, the woman, like, that beauty queen with the really long hair, and then Tyra's like, we are cutting that up, like, all that yes. hair off. And they cut it all off, and then she's like, oh, this is awful, and she's really traumatized, and the next day Tyra's like, we're going shorter. And then she's like, fine! And and then, or she refused to, and they got like eliminated the next week. And it's like, you maimed that girl. You maimed her and sent her home. But I'd like to think she got stronger from it. We should probably look into this and see if she's, if she has gotten stronger from I this. I think we'd know about America's Next Top Model suicide. Would we? I think. Surely that's overdue for like a, like a documentary that dives into like the- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like America's, what would it be called? Um, America's Next Top Pubble. <laughs> I don't know we'll, why I thought we'll that was- We'll work on it, we'll work on it. <laughs> Why was that worth saying? I went straight to tears forming a puddle. America's <laughs> first top model. America's old top model. If it was America's first top model, would it have to be like a documentary Tyra. hosted by the first winner of America's Next Top Model? Surely no, Tyra I, wouldn't leave. I assume leave. it would just be about unless, the first season. Well, unless it was Tyra trying to like own the narrative and be like, I'm going to revisit yeah. all the trauma I inflicted. That so would like, be, I think that, that Tyra, 
Tyra! It'd be an effort at, at some sort of atonement. It'd be something. No, I think it should be, um... Oh, what's his name? Gilbert Godfrey. Why would... Is he... He died. Oh, he did die. Yeah. Okay, who's got a terrible voice? And why would you want a terrible voice? I think it's just funny whenever people with terrible voices are, like, the hosts of, like, a really, like, interesting, introspective TV show. I think it's great. It's like... Here we are! <laughs> Together again! Oh, if we're talking about voiceovers, just get Mary Alice Young from Desperate Housewives to do it. You know I don't know who The that nonsense is. that cunt would say. It'd be like, <laughs> yes, the thing about the suburbs is you'd never really know who's living next door. <laughs> oh, I would listen to that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's would. soothing. And she killed herself. In the first episode. Oh, the character. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, no, she only voiceovered one episode, killed herself, and then they had to Frankenstein the sounds together for the rest of Wait, the show. Wait, she killed herself in the first episode? That was the premise of the whole thing. Desperate Housewives. Yes, it was like, the, like a, it's an opening montage thing of like, Hi, I'm Mary Alice Young. On the surface, I'm just a beautiful white lady. But I have a secret. One day, I received a letter in the mail, and this so is... I shot myself in the head. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do, can you tell me why she shot herself in the head? It's very convoluted, but she has, like, a son that I think they... Spoilers for Desperate Housewives. Spoilers for Desperate Housewives. <laughs> but there are several narrative threads. I'm not going to touch on, like, the Black family in the second season that had, like, the slow son in the basement. Huh. No oh. one liked the second season. It was interesting, though. It's a weird addition. It was something. Um, but, yeah, no. She, I, from memory, there's a lot of twists and turns, but she, like, her and her terrible husband, like, stole their, like, unattractive son from a blonde lady, and the blonde lady comes back for vengeance, and I think she was, like, riddled with drugs, and that's why they thought it was morally okay to steal the child. Okay. But then the son grew up to be a weirdo. <laughs> oh, God, them drugs, that'll get you. I don't think he was on drugs. I think he was just strange, and if, he could never trust If again. his mother was on drugs while he was in the womb, it could have affected him, and that could be why he's a weirdo. That's true. <laughs> you heard a hit burst. But to condemn that behaviour is ableism. So let's skate right past that. Well then call me Kane, because my buddy's able. What do you think of I'm that one? What do you think of that one? I don't know what it means. Uh, it, I, I already take it back. I already take it back. I'm going to give uh, my week um, 47 stars, because that's what I would rate. Let's go with Felicity Huffman. <laughs> because she played Lynette, and no one liked Lynette. 47 stars for my week, and Lynette. Do you want to talk about some theatre? I think maybe we should. <laughs> Hello, you dirty bitch. How you doing, James? <laughs> Don't know who you're talking to. I'm clean as hell. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, me and beautiful British Johnny went to Theatre Works the other day. Great news. Yeah, right? Oh my god, don't be jealous. It was fantastic. So we went, we arrived, we got inside, and then like, they were letting the audience into... So it was like, the normal St Kilda Theatre Works. Yep. Uh, we were seeing Day After Terrible Day by the Danger Ensemble. Terrific name. Which part? I just love Day After Terrible Day. I think oh, sure. Okay, yeah. And then we... Yeah, so we were in the foyer waiting to be let in, and it seemed like they were doing it in, like, an unconventional way just because that's how, like, the energy felt. What do you... And, okay, how do, what do you mean? Well, I'll let you know. So then what happened was we... <laughs> <laughs> Explain faster! <laughs> we were I'm like, bored. We were in like the, the normal little like a theatre works for you, and then we were sort of like clomped in this little clump of people. It was probably like eight people in the clomp. <sighs> and then two women came to that door, that you know, the foyer door where you the door you penetrate to enter the theatre space. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> I get it. And these two women that emerge have clipboards and these like like these latexy makeupy faces that look like they're falling off their faces. Oh. Like it's almost like you're you know when serial killers cut your face off and wear it? Intimately, yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you for using frame of reference, I understand. <laughs> yes, you've been a victim of several serial mm -hmm. killers. Yeah, yeah. You've got away each time. No face anymore. 
Yeah, they were sort of like looked like that, but the, oh. the, the mask itself, of course, was made of some sort of like latex, and then there was like a lot of heavy makeup over the top of it. Oh my god! So amazing. when they would speak, it kind of had that that energy of you know serial killer talking mockingly about how your face is gone. Oh, you know. It's, I, I mean don't, that, but yeah, that's, <laughs> interesting. that's an interesting opening. Sure. Yes. So they're like, oh, hello, hi, Baba, and they were like, they were real estate agents. Would you? What? Would, you, would you say that was a preset? Did uh, it lead into a... Well, I wouldn't call that a preset. I'd say that's the sort of like the start True. of the show. That's the start of the show, isn't it? But that debate could be enraged in a moment. Oh, go on. Oh, yeah. So the real estate agents. So the real estate agents... The take... real estate agents out I've there. never seen realer ones. Yeah. They took our clump, walked us in sort of around the back of that seating bank. You know how theatre works works. I do, yes. And then when you get like around that L shape that you walk through, we then get met with the front door of a fake house. Oh, like, like before you even get into the seats. Yes. Wow, okay. So we're confronted by this door. Great. Yes, and then the real estate agent's like, oh, look at this house. It's a house. Want to come and look at the house? So then we're sort of like cast as these characters that are coming to inspect this house to what's wrong. I got my hand up. He rose his hand. Question. <laughs> yes. Were there, so in the foyer initially, were there only eight of you in the clump and then all of you are taken in or are they taking you in in groups? They took us in in clumps. But at this point, in I don't separate know. separate clumps. Okay. As far as I know. But at this point, yeah. I, this is the first experience of it I've seen. Maybe we're Clump. the only people coming to see the show. Yeah, that's We weren't. But yes, okay. Okay. the age of us entered together and were acting as if we were maybe going to buy the house. A dream. Uh, <laughs> buying a house. One day. We'll get there, mm, you know. And so then they're like, oh, come in, in. Oh, here's the house. And then so they open the door and then we waddle in. Um, and yeah, so the seating bank is gone. So what was I referring to? Oh. We walked in a circle around... You got through the door, opened the door. Oh, it was just like, like uh, they'd folded back the chairs and that's how it still looked like the back of a sitting bank. I solved it with my brain. <laughs> what do you mean they'd folded back? The, oh, just so like... Because you know how they're retractable sitting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So it was still raised seating, but it was just further back. It was gone. It was just like, ah! it was like a vertical stack of infolded Great. seats. Okay. And yes, so we yes. walked through this doorway and then we walk into this empty, like, this big empty space of theatre works. Ooh. Ooh. Like and there that. are people that have already been clumped inside. So we're surrounded by the previous clumps and there are more clumps to come. All standing around? All standing around. There's nowhere to sit. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. And then at the like the middle, sort of like at the furthest wall from us, there's this big ladder. And then on the like the long right hand side, there's this long wedding style table. Oh. Oh. Like a reference to wedding. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, there's a woman already. Oh, and here it comes. Preset. Go on. Ah! Oh. Ding, 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 uh, preset in the space, and she's like waddling around, like saying vague, like, who are you? What is this? Shaka shaka. <laughs> <laughs> You weren't listening much. <laughs> you know, yada yada theater yeah, noise. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So she was sort of like, as everyone was sort of like fearfully standing throughout the space together, me cl- clasping Johnny in fear. Yeah. We're sort of yeah, we're just standing there waiting for the show to start. So people keep getting clumped into like in with us. Um, we're watching this woman in a wedding dress, kind of like ghostily walk up to people, confused. And this begins to be then what like is a part like a very real like large element of what this show then is is like. Um, watching other people experience a like parade style immersive theatrical undertaking and their like the audience's engagement with it being very interesting on top of the art you're experiencing too because yeah. even watching this woman walk up to people and be like oh who the fuck are you <laughs> to seeing the different because I was sugar 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 it's like watching the people that are like just silently like absolutely touch my face oh my god do you want to put your finger in my mouth do it do it I'm here to be a part of this art my name is Archibald I'm a member of this court <laughs> like getting really into getting it getting really into it or you go the Jake method which is to stay out of the way keep to the shadows don't let anyone touch you I don't like either <laughs> you don't like either method 
Britney or Beyonce. I'm still going to keep bringing it back. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> it was Rihanna or Beyonce. Rihanna or Beyonce. If it were Britney or Beyonce, I'd have an answer. Which is? Don't ask me questions at the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> Touche! <laughs> but also Britney would Britney. be my answer to that question, of course. Fair Who would enough. you choose, Beyonce or Britney? Beyonce or Britney. I'd, I would simply say Britney just because I haven't listened to a lot of Beyonce, but I know a lot of people would kill me for that. For not listening to a lot of Beyonce. Yeah, Flynn is a huge Beyonce fan. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe so. that's why it works. One's Britney, one's a Beyonce. You know how we. You know how we. It's do. that quintessential pairing. So then the show starts. The show starts. <laughs> and then everyone, so there's like a five person cast and then they're all wearing the same wedding dress and kind of like a reddish wig. And then it's kind of like the whole thing is very, very and this is another instance of me not being super duper 100% certain of what the F happened narrative wise. I love a show, I love it when you see a show that you don't know. Thank you. Because like part of it was like the way that it even functioned stru- structurally and artistically and narratively. Like it was kind of a theme swamp. Like it was kind of like the themes were more of the central point and the way that it narratively illuminated those themes was seeming like kind of secondary to what it was because uh-huh. there were segments of like like a duetty smut poetry moment there was a like parts of like music there was parts of like like book reedy storytelling and there were parts that were very physical it all seemed to revolve around the idea that this woman had built this beautiful mansion with the help of her husband and the husband either left her or died or died at war or went to war and never came back mysteriously or could be in some interpretations still at war. There's also like a take on it that I heard where it's like she died in the house and he moved away after she died but she doesn't know she's dead or she knows she's dead but instead of grieving her life being lost she's grieving the loss of their love. Do you want me to cut in and stop you at any point? Only when it starts sounding like nonsense what I'm saying. I should have started earlier. Uh Um, Okay so there's a lot of ways to interpret this work. But yeah yeah, so, but generally speaking, the collective understanding, because I spoke to that's another thing. With everyone being clumped in together, when we first arrived in the space, me and Johnny, there was no one there that I knew, but with each arriving clump, someone that I knew popped up. Oh. And so, but because it was like this weird, like, hummy, silent, theatrical, sacred area, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So I, like, see Elizabeth Brennan across the room. Oh. And so then I had to spend five minutes being, like, begging for eye contact, and then we'd be like, oh, oh God, I was like, oh, <laughs> We're at a show. <laughs> oh. So there was this longing to talk to her, and then a few other people also surfaced as well. So it was like, God, I want to talk to this Did person. Did they clump you in like a particular point and sort of say, stay here? No, they just sort of like like threw us in there and then they were like, enjoy this imaginary house. Okay. And so then we just sort of like found a place to like feel safe. That's that's a I, I love that. I think that's an interesting way to do a show. Oh cool. You know yeah. it's super interesting. But you're right, it definitely puts you on edge as an audience member. Oh my god. Because you're not yes. hidden behind other people. There's no knowing what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Yeah, there was a Fifi's fifth to it in that sort of mm. way. Um but um yeah, but at least with Fifi's Fifth, you had the comfort of being told that you're like a five-year-old and Elsa's going to tell you what to do. Um, it provides a calmer structure as opposed to being like, go into this house that isn't real and watch this ghost be a pest for a while. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really thrown in the deep end. Yes. I think what I'm learning about myself in this very new journey of trying to go to immersive theatre and whatnot, the more instruction you give me and the more security you give me... But I guess that's just me wanting to be you back in a seat. structure and security. <laughs> you want to be back at school. It's, it's also me wanting to just be in the dark in a seat. The closest you can get me to a traditional theatrical experience. Welcome to this immersive <laughs> theatrical experience. The immersion is sitting in this chair <laughs> and hiding behind other audience That's members. it. Saying nothing. Just <laughs> being addressed and not being asked to do anything. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite immersion. That's lovely immersion. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, this swamp continues to occur. Um, and then... 
Yeah, and then I guess a memorable moment was towards the end, we're all kind of like seated around this long wedding table and they do some performance stuff on top of that table. Mm -hmm. That was like a cool moment because I really, I think those like long wedding tables are so beautiful. They are beautiful. The only issue with those long wedding tables is when you lift up the white cloth, it's often just trestle tables. Sure. You know, they're often just disgusting hired, boring tables covered in beautiful white cloth. Well, is that almost a metaphor for a marriage? Oh. 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 That's good. It's something. Did they take the cloths off the tables? They did not. No, ah! I think it was I think it was like a solid tabletop. Oh, memory, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was also like a nice moment of like, you know when magicians drown themselves to death? <laughs> <laughs> You know... I don't know what to say here. Is it easier if I just say yes? It's easier if you are honest with me. You know I those... don't know what you mean by that, no. <laughs> you know, like, in The Prestige, where I want to say Hugh Jackman... You realise that was a cloning machine. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> cloning machine, and he was actually drowning his clothes. I was too bored by the end to pay attention to the He twist. wasn't pretending to drown. He was <laughs> genuinely... Br and then, um, then um, Michael Caine goes, It felt like agony, sir. Um, Do you remember that bit? He was like, no. you told me it was like going home. Um, so spoilers for The Prestige. Yeah, I guess spoilers <laughs> for The Prestige. But you can still watch The Illusionist. Those the birds died. The Illusionist was bad. Well, Paul Giamatti, I... I think The Illusionist was bad because it tried to be real magic. What's wrong with that? The Prestige was good because it was like illusion and then maybe some sci-fi. I, I think, think that's why I lost interest in The Prestige. It was too sci-fi. Well, it was Scarlett Johansson. Uh, yeah, prestige. She's, prestige. she's like the, the. I think she's the man. The, the woman distraction. That, yeah, she's the woman that, that he sort of has a, has a fling with. She, he fl Hugh Jackman flings with Scarlet. Hugh Jackman flings with Scarlet. It's either Hugh Jackman or who was the other guy in that? Christian Bale. Christian Bale, I think, has the fling. Are they with competing Scarlet magicians? They are competing magicians. Did they kiss? Guys, it's gonna be a huge spoiler for Prestige. So Christian Bale is the one that ends up having a twin, and that's how he does like his his mystery transported man act. Hugh Jackman says, "How can I do this? I know. I'll get." Um, oh god, who is it? Who's not the... Michael Caine. Not Michael Caine. David Bowie. I'll get David Bowie, who is actually Nikola Tesla, to build me a machine that allows me to clone myself, and then I'll kill my clone, and then the clone of me will step out of the other place and be fine, and that will be an easier way of doing this trick. Oh, sure, so the real original Hugh Jackman survives the entire time. It's not like that- it's, I think it's very vague. It's sort no. of like, you never know which one's the real Hugh Jackman. Because, like, okay. I remember that in, like, one of the last scenes, they show how he initially did the trick. He, like, stands in the machine, clones himself. The guy who was initially standing in the machine doesn't realise anything's changed. And then in the distance, he sees his clone appear. And he goes, oh. And then he gets a gun and shoots his clone. But his clone is all like, wait, no, it's me. And so it's like, oh, which one's really Hugh Jackman? <laughs> if you're a clone, you can't say to the other you, no, wait, it's me. Yes. <laughs> I don't think the he one says... person you can't fool. The only person you can't fool with that is the real you. Okay, alright. Maybe he doesn't say, oh wait, it's me. I think it's more of an implied, no, 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 and then he gets shot. And then he figures out this system where he puts a trapdoor on the machine and the original Hugh Jackman gets drowned every time. The clone does that. The, no, well, it doesn't can't matter. can the original Hugh Jackman only get killed once? Well, no, because they're all clones. They're all Hugh Jackman. So Hugh Jackman stands in the machine yes. and clones himself. Yes. Initially, the Hugh Jackman who's standing in the machine shoots the other clone that appears off to the side, yes. right? In the finalised trick he does on stage, he puts a trapdoor in the machine so that when he clones himself, the original Hugh Jackman standing in the machine gets dropped into the water and drowned, and then the other Hugh Jackman appears at the back of the stage, and that's the magic transported man. Okay, so in this show that I saw... <laughs> I'm afraid to cut as much as I did. <laughs> no, it's all important. Uh -huh. So, like, that box that... You know, like, the box that Damien Hurst suspended that shark in? 
Yes. Yes. You know, in Matilda, where they're doing Let's Get Sticky with Mickey and the guy. What? These are all different versions of. In Matilda. In Matilda, the movie. The only Matilda I respect. The movie. That is Sticky with Mickey. Let's get sticky with Mickey, and I believe it's John Lovitz. Oh, in the in standing in the glass cube, getting money, and the money's flying yes. around, and they're covered in glue, and then yes. Mara Wilson is staring at the TV, and and she you makes could it have just said the glass box from the Prestige we were already talking <laughs> I about. I could have just said, imagine a box. <laughs> okay, I'm, let's start again. I'm with you now. I'm imagining a box. What sort of box is it, Jake? It's like a rectangular box <laughs> it's made up. of glass. I mean, okay, I'm with it's you. like a shower box. Jake, I get it. I get the box. Part, okay, so the box has a bunch of like, dead flowers inside, and then one of the actors at one point is inside this sticky with Mickey box that's okay. full of dead flowers, okay. and she sort of gets wheeled around a bit. Oh, that's kind and of. And it's beautiful. kind of like that part in Love Never Dies where there's all the freaks in those like pyramids. Oh yeah. It's like that woman with the long nails, and it's like Coney Island sure is scary. Love never dies. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. That um, sounds yeah. like a really lovely image. Yeah. I think cram people into like, yeah, glass boxes more. It looks cool. Take a leaf out of the prestige. <laughs> yes. As often as possible. Yes. Um, and it, again, throughout the piece, as I always tend to come back to you, like text, um, it, it, this sort of thing was posed of uh, like the question was asked by this woman character vaguely to this in some way lost love mm-hmm. of whether or not loving her was a burden. Oh. And does that trigger any thoughts for you? Loving, if loving me is a burden. Yeah, uh, the only thoughts I can think of is like, yeah, like that sort of feeling of, when, yeah, that's that's a really sad feeling to think that, so yeah, being loved by someone could be detrimental to them is such a sad feeling, I think. Mm. And it's also, I think, quite a sign of, oh, you've been through some shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's, your, that's your trauma, speaking. And the person asking that question. Yeah, absolutely. To believe that the idea of loving you could be so burdensome Mm. is someone who's had to sort of put themselves last because you want to make sure everyone else is okay. Sure. That's what I initially think. I just learned a new thing about that experience. Of like, so it like stems from, um, th- this is like a friend of mine does a lot of like dance therapy and working with like trauma, like people that have been through a lot of trauma mm. and dealing with it through like dance therapy and massage and stuff is mm. how she like gets, th- th- helps these people deal with what they're going through. Um, and she explained to me this phenomenon, phenomenon that occurs when you suffer from uh, childhood emotional neglect. Oh. And what happens is like when a child sort of like gets taught by whoever it is that's like taking care of them as a child that they get taught that their emotions don't matter and they internalize that lesson to the point where when they become an adult, they prioritize everybody else's happiness and everyone else's emotions oh. because they don't believe that theirs hold any value. Yeah. Oh God. That's oh my so God. Sad. Even as she was telling me, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's <laughs> tragic. And it's like, it's just damage that's done to you. Is it? I think any damage that's done to anyone as a child is so unforgivable. It's just so sad. But it's also like inevitable. You know, sure. Everyone, sure that everyone's going to go through some sort of damage at some point. Well, like by the virtue of living, like you, un- yeah. like you, you go through things, and we label some of those things as trauma, and some of those things as like just like part of being a person. But I think it's particularly villainous when it's when it occurs to a child. I think if no one can see it, if no one can see it happening and get stops it from happening, that's so sad. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's like that. Um, what was that? The Romanian child experiment they did. What happened there? I think I'm. I think it was a Romanian child experiment. I'm not sure what it was actually called. Somewhere in Eastern Europe, they did this experiment on children where they just didn't touch them, didn't pick them up or hug them or interact with them for like a good few years. I think, mm. and the damage done was so lasting that like 
they, they grew up to be unable to communicate with adults and unable to like form any form of connection with people because they just didn't know how. Mm. And it's just so sad. Yeah. I just think it's sad when kids are done hard by. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. No. But... Why, do you have any particular emotional response or feelings towards that phrase? Uh, the one that my pal told me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the one that I just said to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess... Like, the idea of loving someone feeling like a chore... Like, I think part of me... Uh, it goes to the thing of, like... It seems like with my... Because I've not been in a sort of, like, any super long-term serious relationships or whatever. And to me, it feels like that's the time where... Like, apart from friendships, I suppose. But if you're talking about romantic love specifically... It seems like, based on my, like, you know, field research, <laughs> that it seems almost as if there's meant to come a time where a lot of what the love is, is, like, functional, kind of chory. Yeah. Like, I keep, I do keep coming back to the thing that I, like, took from the human voice, that play, um, the idea of love just being the physical acts connected to your loving impulses, mm. um, and love, therefore, when it turns into these types of obligatory chores after, potentially, like, the first intense romantic love that the traditional like sweeping romance part yeah. of the love is done and then it, if you're going to have a long life together it, it it becomes more of like a it's more tasks and obligations and expectations well I think definitely but yeah because you're totally right just by sheer fact that you are in each other's lives it almost becomes logistically necessary to actually work with each other mm. doing doing things for each other and doing chores yeah so maybe I guess sometimes love can feel like a burden but it's a burden that mm. you should want to bear. And when you no longer want to bear that burden, you should be gone. Well, I, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I've, I haven't reached a point yet in my relationship where I feel like any part of it's burdensome. Sure. But, like, I definitely feel like there are times when... And Flynn and I were actually talking about this just the other day. Flynn was saying, you know, sometimes being even just a friend to someone or being in a relationship with someone is being inconvenienced and being annoyed and being frustrated by situations, but wanting to do that for the betterment of your friend or partner. Mm. Like, one knowing that even if you're not going to, like, get a parade or a medal for doing it, you still do it to make sure that they're okay. Yeah. And that is a burden. That yeah. That is burdensome love. But I think... I don't know when the line would appear to be like, oh, this is no longer a burden I can bear. Hmm. Maybe it is literally just down to you and what you feel you can do. Maybe there is no metric for it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, for some reason, listening to you talk about that, like, it, 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 I don't know, started, my brain started trying to, like, make some sort of table up or something to be, like, maybe it needs to be more, like, I don't know how to phrase this, the idea that the chores that come about due to your relationship being a thing that exists, it's, like, in my mind, at least, when I think about a type of love that I think I'd really enjoy is the sort where it's, like, obviously you found this, like, magical, wonderful creature person mm. that you want to be around all the time, and the things that life throws at the two of you are more bearable and more enjoyable. The good things and the bad things because you're doing it with that person. Yeah. And also, like, the problems only start to surface when it's, like, that the source of the problems comes from the tethering of the two of you. Yeah. Like, if, if it's the combination of the two people that you are in that current moment is the source of most of the issues you're dealing with and they are becoming... Yeah. Like, by virtue of them being... You being the source of those things, you cannot overcome those things because you are the source of those things. Yes, and I think that's just called... A dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Yeah, you're Maybe I'm right. just doing the thing where I just sound like an alien that's never had a real feeling before. No, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm working out a basic idea. You are just unpacking <laughs> ideas. Great, yes. great, great. But this Good. is the thing about love. Every time I try and talk about love, I, I always run into this feeling of someone somewhere at some point has had this thought and said it better. Like, love has just been 
dissected to the point where it's a pulp. You know, there's nothing left to talk about. Sure. So you can just say things because sure. they've all been said. Yeah. So why not just say things? But you can also come at it from my father's perspective, which is if we didn't have the words for all these things, we wouldn't think about them. <laughs> that's called bad. That's, that's, that's just, I think that's a very fatherly thing to say, isn't it? You know, if we didn't have all these feelings, we wouldn't be worried. Well, I reckon, uh, I reckon if I could just, uh, what if I, no, you know what? I'm not going to get into it. No? No, I'm deciding not to. Move on! Sure. Um, yeah, no, then I just, I just, I know we've been talking about the show for a while, and I just, uh, the one question that sort of like posed for me while I was watching it, and with the themes that it was sort of like delving into, I guess I just have a question that if you can, even like as a challenge to both of ourselves, mm. answer very succinctly oh, the God. idea of like, how does it feel when love dies for you? Fuck! Yeah. Well, do you have an immediate answer? No. How does it feel when love dies for me? Angry, I think, I guess. What angry? Uh, me. Anger. Feel I feel angry, angry when, when love, love dies. dies for me. Okay. In the past, I have. Sure. But maybe that's because it was bad love. I don't know. Right. Like, I just felt angry. I felt like breaking things. And I felt like screaming and hurting people. Mm. Like, I just felt really, really angry. I don't know if I would feel that way this time. Mm. Like, if Flynn and my relationship were to end... I'd be devastated, yeah. but I don't know if I'd be angry. Why? What do you think? What do you? F- how does how does love dying feel for you? I don't know. You saying you saying angry? I think my, it, it then forced my mind to be. I, I think I went straight to abandoned. Sure, you know. Yeah. I think in the yeah. in the way that like, especially if it's like a person that you feel like, which I've been through like versions of with. It's like a person that you think is really wonderful with, and then somehow it sort of like goes away, yeah. and it hasn't happened recently or anything. But yeah, the thing of like, you thought that you knew how you were feeling about a situation. You thought what you have is really fantastic and then I don't know there's something, something about the, the idea of like the love going away because I assume it must have been there in the first place the death of it would either it, it, yeah I go to abandoned I suppose mm. because it's like I think love requires a level of trust not just in the person that you love but also in yourself and your ability to continue to explore and let that love grow mm. and I think too somehow love feels like a promise from the universe or even just like a gift from the universe almost in some way as, as recompense for everything else that we suffer through. Well, it feels like in all this, it's that classic thing of all this chaotic madness in the universe this large, we found each other. Totally. Like, you know, we like found that each other connection. And we felt this thing, which is guaranteed to nobody, and then for that to go away, it almost feels like, I don't know, some sort of cosmic kick in the nose. Sure. Yeah. Abandonment and angry. Yeah. That's pretty... But good thing we're both really happy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> loving it, loving it, loving it. Um, let's talk about something else. Okay. So I went, I got pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Too many of your stories start that way. (laughs) (laughs) I went to see a show at La Mama Courthouse. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, It was good. (laughs) What do I say? (laughs) My brain just switched off for the briefest of moments. Went and saw a show at La Mama Courthouse. I went with my friend Olivia Clark. Great. You know Olivia Clark. Clarky. About Yay High. Yeah. I went to see see Dua Lipa with her recently. Oh, sure. Yes. I didn't realize she was at Dua Lipa with you. She was where the tickets came from. Great. <laughs> She's some sort of ticket tech monster. She knows. She knows things. Um, so we went along. Uh, we had pizza at DOC. Delicious. Oh, that like like upscale looking fancy Italian place with like the real with Italian the waiters. Best pizza. Do you think so? Some of the best pizza. They what do you look really for your best pizza? Look, I'm a simple bitch. I love... <laughs> There's a knowing nod there that you couldn't see. Um, I love... Uh, like a thin crust, mm. crunchy crust, uh-huh. with like thin, beautiful tomato sauce. Okay. And then just like some, this pizza that I get there, the DOC, 
dollops of buffalo mozzarella. God, you love a dollop. I love a dollop. <laughs> and basil. If you can get everything oh, in dollop form, you... Dollop me. What? Mozzarella and basil. Basil, yeah. That's all you have? Yeah. So it was like well, like a margarita. It was basically a fancy margarita. It's and that's your delicious. best. That's, that's, I love a simple pizza. I right. love a simple pizza. I'm a simple man. Sure. You, I know, would go for the pizza that has, like, uh, mushrooms, eggplant, clams, <laughs> shrimp, uh, mu- uh, mussels, a bit of chicken, pork. You'd get a pizza that has everything. I love a trip to the sea. You love a trip to the sea. Yeah, I want everyone that sings Kiss the Girl <laughs> to be on my pizza. Yum, yum, yum. Don't you find that when you get a pizza with such a thin crust, it can't support it enough to get into your mouth safely? That's when you fold it up. You yep. fold it down the middle. I and don't it supports fold a pizza. itself. I, I think it's folding simple. a pizza cuts the time you spend eating the pizza in half. No, it, no you eat it the normal way, but you hold it folded. And then you eat it folded too. See, no, you know what? We, we this can, is not important. We'll do this <laughs> you had pizza. I had pizza. <laughs> and then we went up to uh, La Mama Courthouse. Yes. To see Trophy Boys. Trophy Boys. Trophy Boys. Okay. Um, yeah, Trophy Boys. <laughs> yeah, by Emmanuel something? Emmanuel Matana. Yes, I'm getting there, Jake. Oh, good. No, I thought you were looking for that fact and I was going to help you. I was looking for that fact. See? <laughs> My eyes are not what they used you to be. You have fallen. I will help you up. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> So, Manuel Matana has written Trophy Boys. Yes. It's on for like maybe three days at the, at, at the courthouse. Because it was part of Explorations. Part of Explorations. It was too. Great. Um, which is still going. There are so many shows. Being explored. Being explored at La Mama. That's good. Isn't it good? Um, <laughs> ran into Lottie Beckett in the audience. Amazing. Lottie Beckett was in two shows recently that I have seen. Club Night. Club- and... Oh, sorry. You had fallen. I was I, trying to help you. <laughs> and the last time... Yes. Which were both shows that I saw that Lottie Becker was in and I thought she was fabulous. I haven't actually had a chance to meet her until now. Mm. Ran into her there with Olivia Clark. Delightful person. That's so nice. Really nice. Um, so that was just a fun little positive omen for the evening. Yeah, she's wonderful. That's wonderful. great that you saw her. Um, they did the prize. Did not win. You lucky fuck. Oh, I wanted that. It was a book. <laughs> it was a book. It was a book on feminism. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, so we wandered on in. Yes. Sat on down. Great. No preset. Boo. Oh. However, <laughs> the, the, it is set to look like a classroom. Great. Four desks, a whiteboard, and then on the walls are all these portraits of what I guess you would call girl bosses throughout throughout the world. Okay. So there's one of Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. There's one of Rosa Parks. Mm. There's one of Margaret Thatcher. Okay. There's one of all like there's all these like Julia Gillard. Like, Malala. There is Malala. Malala's up there. Um, there's all of these people. Well guessed. <laughs> Thank can, you. Can you guess any more that are on there? Um, we're talking girl bosses. We're talking girl bosses. Um, all of them seem to be within the last sort of 20, 30 years. Julia Hartz. Mm, yeah, actually, she was. Yes, Julia Hartz was on oh there. Oh my god! Okay, giving Scott Morrison the greasy eye. Yes. Uh, no, that's uh, uh, I, this that girl it's, who's. I think she her has her name like a, is Hart. Maybe she. Gemma Hart? something cable. I thought I walked past her book the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and several other books. <laughs> they were handing them out, and I was like, "No, thank you." Um, maybe let's just move on. Grace, Grace Tame. Tame. Sorry, it was Grace Tame. Grace Tame was up on the wall. Yes. Yes. It was a photo of her giving Scott Morrison the greasy eye. Terrific. I love that photo. Anywho, mm. so yeah, so that's the sort of vibe that we're presented with. And there's a whiteboard at the back of the room. Great. Okay. So, I know nothing about the show. We hear chanting. Boys, 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 boys. I chant that often. Absolute fear-stricken. Oh, Immediately. God. Because okay. it harkens back to high school. Yeah. Did you go to a private boys' school? I went to an independent Catholic boys' high school. That's a terrifying phrase. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Well, I went to a, I went to a private boys' school, which mm. I feel is important to because I 
it just harkened me back immediately to my school days. You didn't love it there? You didn't thrive? Well, I didn't say I thrived. Um, <laughs> definitely wasn't bullied, so that's good. That's good. Isn't that nice? So, Wait, is it, that, that's you being honest? You weren't Yeah, bullied? no, I wasn't bullied. No, no, no. We can talk about it. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get oh, great. Um, I like the idea of a private boys' school raising very private boys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any of my classmates. We all sort of <laughs> keep to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the chanting boys. Out they come. Yeah. It is uh, the four... Let me just get this list up so I don't get any wrong. Oh, yeah. Gotta name those cast members Gotta name those cast members. <laughs> so we got Emmanuel Matana. We have Lee Lul. We have Emily Joy and Gabby Siam. So all these people playing private school boys. Great. In their little school shorts. Mm-hmm. Their little school socks. Yes. Their big oversized blazers. Perfect. And they'll, they'll grow into them. They'll grow into them. Yep. Well, these are year 12 students. Well, some of them don't grow into Some of them don't grow, apparently. Oh. <laughs> ha! Uh, and their little straw hats. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have straw hats at your school? We never had hats. Oh. <laughs> Neither did we. Uh, <laughs> did you have hats? We had normal hats, yeah. Like caps and things. We didn't have any straw hats. Like a straw boater. Straw boater hats, I think, were much more of a private girls' school thing. Absolutely. Kilvington was famous for their hats. Canterbury girls had straw hats. Mm-hmm. Strathcona had the straw hats. And the teachers, apparently, based on what women, like girls from those schools were saying to me, was like, they're very big on those, the hats being angled correctly. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Well, Let's talk about that later. It's all on. weird. Again, it's strange that that's how it's we dress weird children. That we do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, so they come on. It is. <laughs> what would a normal way to dress children be? I if guess you have to whatever they in... want to wear. If they have to be in a uniform, what would you make them wear? I don't know. I just think I think one of the things that I find weird about school uniforms is the socks. What? Like having socks pulled up to your knees at all times. Sure. Just okay. give them pants or let them wear normal socks. You know, like <laughs> if you have to keep the shins a secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what are we doing with this? Uh-huh. I think don't let them wear. No, don't make them wear ties. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're children. Don't make them wear a tie. Mm-hmm. I think especially during summer and when it's like really hot. Like, mm. just let them unbutton the top. Let them relax. Mm. They're kids. Yeah. Anywho, yeah. income and this is this feature. Income the Imperium boys. Fantastic. Imperium is the name of the school. Could not have picked a more evil name for a school. Yeah, that's almost more evil sounding than Salesian. It, yes, it is. It's almost more evil than like the Third Reich. Like Good Imperium. God. <laughs> it sounds like yeah, the, yes. yeah, Imperium. You know that Gregorian sound that's scary? You know like the start of um, that Sam Smith, Kim Petras song? Oh, I don't like that song. <laughs> Those noises. I know the one. Yes, you know. I know. Imperium. <laughs> yes, so Go on. Imperium boys come out. Scary. They're in, they're in the debate. They're in the debate squad. Mm. It's the year 12 debate final. Mm. And these four boys are there in the classroom. You know, did you ever debate at high school? We lost every match we played. <laughs> you did debate and at truly, high school. Have I told this story before? I didn't want to be on the debate team at all. Like, <laughs> my immediate teacher made me do it. And then every week I would go to the debating meeting being like, I'm going to quit today. But then I wouldn't have the confidence to quit. So, and that's why I was stuck on the debate team. Because I didn't have the confidence to have a confrontation. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so you just kept debating. You just kept debating. I, I didn't have the backbone to quit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Quite telling. Um, I know. I was on the debate team for maybe like one or two years. I can't remember which ones though. Definitely yeah. not year twelve. Did you ever win? Uh, here and there. I think it was like I think my debate squad that I was on was like the inter school, like our inter our own school, mm. like between oh, okay. like like houses. You never went to tournaments. No, I never went to another school debates. Sure. Um, which I just did... got distracted by wanting to be friends with the people that we did, like didn't know. I'd like look across the room and be like, oh, I want to talk to them about like life and stuff. And then they make you get one of the parts that I hated about debating Rebuttal? was like. Rebuttal because it felt really mean. Mm. Like, because I would never approach a conversation that way. Like, this is wrong, and here's why. 
Yeah, I would never, like, if someone's like, oh, I don't think we should have, because the classic topic of like, I don't think we should have school uniforms. If someone said that to me, I would not be like, here's the reason your opinion's a piece of shit. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. I just, it felt so mean. Because I don't know these people. If we'd had lunch beforehand and then we're like, okay, let's go debate now, that could be fun. But a stranger has just given you their opinion. He's going to be like, yeah. shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Sit the fuck down and listen. Yeah. Which I don't think they do in debate. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. So, 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 for those of you playing along at home, if you've been in debate, maybe you'll know more about this than us. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I doubt it. We sound pretty, pretty good at this. Pretty good at this. <laughs> they turn the whiteboard over. So they're in the classroom. You know how like before the debate, you're given one hour to prepare your arguments. Sure. So they're in the classroom, locked in, no screens, mm. preparing their arguments. The whiteboard is, has the prompt written on the back of it. And they're like, let's turn it around and see what we're chatting about, boys. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Mm. They turn the whiteboard around. Feminism has failed women. Affirmative. Terrific. Great. Magnificent. Because then the show just continues on to be watching these four private school boys, all of which are played so well by their respective actors. We'll, we'll get into it. All of which feel like people I knew in high school. I could name them. Amazing. Um... Just watch them devolve into this immediate chaos of we cannot debate this mm. versus okay, but if we were to debate this, mm -hmm. what would we say? Yeah. And then watching the arguments that come up, and then obviously that on top of watching these actors who obviously went to schools and had to deal with private school boys like this, mm. watching them sort of unpack all of that. And I, I, I got the chance to speak to a few of them after the show and they were sort of mentioning how it was very cathartic and like therapeutic to actually work through that trauma. Mm. It just sounds like it's a really interesting um, little mix of, I just think I love this show. It works so well. Great. Um, yeah, sorry, I went in a bit of a ramble there. No, that's so, nice. So yeah, so it worked out to be the, so the four characters. Let's talk about um, the so Emmanuel Matana, the writer, plays this boy called Owen, hmm. and Owen is a stickler for rules. Mm -hmm. He's a bit of a nerd. Mm -hmm. He's a bit of an outlier for that, mm -hmm. but he knows every fucking thing about debate. He knows all the rules. He knows all the facts. He's smart. He's switched on, and he you can tell that he doesn't have a lot of friends. And I, you know, we. He was the captain of the debate squad. Yeah. So you you do you know people from your high school that were like that nerds that were nerds? Yeah. Um, nerds. We weren't very nerd heavy. <laughs> Not to say we were very cool <laughs> as a collective. But no, no one was really relegated to. There were people that had like odd interests, but no one was really like cordoned off for being like really bookish or wearing thick glasses. Well, we had some of them in my school. Okay. <laughs> so that was Owen. Okay. <laughs> and and. Owen was sort of the one that would... In, and this is one of the things I loved about the show in particular. It sort of went into how the debate would actually work. And they presented some really convincing arguments. Not convincing because of what the arguments were, but convincing because they knew how debate structures worked. And they knew how to set up the chess pieces to get it so that the opposing team couldn't argue X, Y, or Z. Right. So they would be like, we need to come out in front of this. We need to say... That, that feminism has failed women because it no longer represents women of today. It's an outdated model. And then if they try and come back at us and say that that's because of this, we have this ready to... So it became this really vicious immediate breakdown of we're not going to argue that feminism has failed women. We're going to argue that feminism is no longer what it once was. And that way we can turn it on its head. Mm. Um, and then as it goes on, it, the, it, the, um, I don't know how much I should say because I want to quickly before we go any further, say this show is coming back mm. uh, for 45 Downstairs. It was only on for three nights uh, at the um, Explorations. But it's back at 45 Downstairs from the 2nd of February to the 12th. And I think if you see one thing at Midsummer, it should be this show. 
So I also don't... see other things at Midsummer as well. Oh, obviously see other things, but yeah. <laughs> do you see this? It's really good. Yeah, I've heard so, wonderful things from people about it. Yeah, nothing but good things have been said so far. Um, no one said a bad thing, I know. <laughs> I hear them all. <laughs> um, great. Okay, so I guess then be conscious of, as we always do, but be extra sure not to, don't spoil anything. Well, that, that, this is the thing. So if anyone is listening who wanted me, who was in the show or wanted me to go into further detail, I don't think I want to because I don't want to, because there's one particular twist mm. that escalates everything really well. Great. And it, I think it's really, it's current, it's topical, it's fantastic. And for these four performers to discuss this, yeah. I really, really loved. Great. So, anywho, Owen is there. We love. Lee Lul plays David. David is... How do I describe David? He's the advisor. He's the debate advisor. So he's there to sort of remind them of the rules and keep them all in check. He's a bit... He's quieter. He's more reserved. He's definitely from money. He's out of touch. He's a little bit hard to relate to. And he's very, very intelligent. Mm -hmm. He's the sort of person that would be like quietly the house captain. Or quietly... Um, he sort of... Other students would sort of respect him for his intellect, but he's scary. He, and there are things about him I want to say that, again, I can't because it goes into the main drama towards the end of the show. Mm. Um, but but um, Lee did a fantastic job playing that character. Emily Joy was Jared. Jared. Yeah. <laughs> this is the quintessential lad. Okay. Legs always spread open. Mm -hmm. Shirt always untucked. Perfect. Socks always down. Love it. Has a girlfriend, which means he loves women. I love women. Yeah. I love women. I do. Which was one of the things that he kept saying throughout the show. I can't be, a, I can't, I can't hate women. I love them. Mm. I love women. Um, and, and just the sort of sporty lad that, you know, you sort of hated, but you wanted to have sex with. When I was that age. <laughs> you were that age? Not now. Not now. <laughs> Obviously in high school, my friend. Um, sure. Oh, yeah, there's certainly an appeal to that the style. The one of... who on stage at some point sprayed himself with just a metric ton of Lynx Africa. On stage? On stage. Oh, oh you mean during this right show? Right now. And then, oh, sure. for the rest of the show, the magical thing was the entire show smelt like Lynx Africa. Sure. Which... Do you remember being in, like, change rooms, getting, like, change for sports and stuff, and just that pungent smell of boy sweat and deodorant and it was always Lynx Gold or Lynx Africa. I recently bought Lynx Africa because some other thing triggered my memory of these things and I wanted to see what it would jog for me to experience that scent again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's also, it? Uh, to an extent, absolutely, mm. yeah. And I think too, there's a like a flavour of Lynx that I cannot smell because it makes me go through too much schoolies trauma. Was it gold? No, it was like a blue one. Apollo. I think it was Apollo. Yeah, if, I, if I smell that, I fall into a real hole. Oh, good. Thank I've got a Lynx Apollo cologne at home. Great. Wear it often. Often. <laughs> I'm wearing it. Um, Sorry for handing out my kryptonite like that. That's really asking for trouble. No, it's good. Go Everyone, on. now you know. <laughs> so you have a lot of, like, locker room memories. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as, like, a young gay man who wasn't out in that sort of setting. It, and I'm sure most queer people find the locker room in high school a terrifying slash erotic place to be at that age sure at that age yeah no yeah yeah um, <laughs> just clarify because it's yeah. like the fear of like what are they all gonna think if i'm here are they gonna be thinking that i'm here to see things they're gonna be thinking this do they know do i know do i want to you know all these things oh yeah um so that smell no. wafting over us is like oh high school immediately yeah. high school oh yeah god and the last little member of this quartet gabby so played scott okay and we all know a scott this was like i, I this was someone that i was friends with at school <laughs> just a fucking 
lad. A silly lad. Like the one that would chant GAY at the back of the school. The one that was always doodling dicks on things. Mm. The one that was always like, in this show it turned out, was secretly gaily in love with Jared. That's not a that's not a surprise. That happened in the first scene. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there were one of the things I really liked. Scott and Jared had like some real brief tender moments, oh, which didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Did, like they didn't progress. Oh. But it is that thing of in high school, there are so many moments of like, is this like a, a nice oh. moment between friends? No, is shut the this, fuck up. Yeah, you know exactly what I mean. It's Does too that nice. Trigger things in you. Shut up. Ah. Oh. Keep talking about other things. I'll okay, get to okay, right. You can't let me linger in this crater for much longer. Right, so that was nice. So, <laughs> but um, this was Gabby's first, uh, as I, she mentioned to me later on, first theatrical outing. Like, first time doing a show. And I think for this to be the first show you do is such a flex. Sure. Because it was, as you said, it's been so well received and mm. it was such a well-written show. Um, so and it sounds really, like, layered and complicated. It and, is. Yeah. And it was well-paced. Great. And everyone, it was, the, it was one of the fantastic moments of, oh, this is just how people talk. Mm. This is just I like I can I believe all of these people having these conversations, even when they had like very serious moments that I could never imagine myself as a school student going to mm. later l- later on in the show. They all behaved in a way that I was like, that makes total sense. If I was a school kid in this day and age, I would act like that. Sure. Um, which I think also makes sense because I think Emmanuel is a younger writer, mm. which is another terrific thing about this show. It's a, it's the, it feels like it really is a newer generation of artists mm. making work that is exciting and engaging and stuff that I want to see more of. Yeah. And a, like a young person competently relaying the voice of a young person. Yes. It's That's not cool. Tim Burton writing a TV series for Netflix. <laughs> Wednesday's not good. <laughs> it's a bad show. Um, so, sorry. Oh, I fuck, that's nice. Which is, no, yeah. That's also nice to, obviously, me not having seen the show. Mm. It's nice because, like, from the promo images, of course, I was hoping that all the themes you just listed would kind of be involved. Like, certainly, you know, the, the, these more, like, nuanced, interesting, emotional things. Mm. Because, of course, I had that, like, fear that I'm glad did not get realized. That fear that it would just be, in, like, you know, what I will comfortably say another example of people sort of, like, taking sort of, like, this this aim at men through this kind of like drag king style, whatever you want to call it, like kind of like mm. performance of masculinity, which doesn't get much further beyond just conveying maybe part of what the element of that, like chant at the beginning of the show was yes, sort absolutely. of getting at the idea yes. of like men, like especially young men are just kind of like these stupid misinformed hormone idiots. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and not exploring anything beyond, because of course there are things beyond that. They are of course in many instances exactly that too. Yes. But it's so great that this play went further than that. And on that note, that you're exactly right, because for instance, like Scott and Jared were a little bit more on the chanty boys side, mm. but Owen and David were like, like and, and for, for the for the whole, all of them were switched on. They were intelligent. They knew what the issues were. They knew what the problems were. They weren't just being like, oh tits. It was like watch. It was watching genuine discourse mm. about how particularly like girls are treated at high school basically yeah like the, it, it sort of turned into a discussion of what these young boys thought feminism was what they thought it should be and what they thought of women hmm. like and 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 I'm so thankful for it right yeah that's lovely and really a real credit to like the artists involved in the way that it's like because from what I can tell it's not like a super like man heavy production at all no no right and so but it's and it's really beautiful and exciting especially with it being a, the, being a theatrical undertaking the level of like empathy and compassion and like open-mindedness they must have had mm. to explore the themes that they're exploring and to have come out with a piece of theater that sounds like it's really intelligent and incisive and 
all these intelligent things that it wouldn't have been had they been a bit stupider and a bit more like ham-fisted mm. and hateful. Mm. You know, it shows a, it's a real credit to them and their capacity to be intelligent and have hearts. Yes, they're fully developed characters with feelings, which is quite nice. Yeah, it's so nice. Yeah, it does... The show does sort of reveal the darker side of... And I think it's particularly... Quack, quack. The quack, quack. <laughs> I think it's particularly the more evil side of... I don't want to incite another quack, quack. A <laughs> uh, more evil side of private school for boys. What do you mean? It's perfect. It's perfect <laughs> and it's not at all terrible. Because there are certain scenes in this where... Yes, they are all sort of... They start pointing the fingers at each other to be like, well, you can't say that because you do this with... Go- you can't say this because of this. But then there are points when... And you see it happen at high school, especially mm. at private school boys. They just close ranks with each other. And they're like, fine. No, lads, we're going to be in this together. We're gonna, it's going to mm. be okay. And it's scary because those are the boys that grow up to be in... in like mm. in. Power in parliament, in yeah. law, in police, in all of these high-ranking like official regions. Yeah. These are the boys that get there. And it's part of what's terrifying about the heteropatriarchy we live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Exactly that. So, it is, it is, they do, there is a certain element, of, I wouldn't say vilifying, because it is just genuinely what happens. Mm. But it, it casts a real harsh light on those private school boy clubs basically and to do that intelligently yep. bolsters the perspective that they're offering yes which exactly. is amazing yeah if they'd just done some sort of like lowbrow foolish depiction of like this... if it was like a farcical slapstick drag king show about if it was private just, school let's, boys yeah, yeah let's all just all laugh about how dumb boys are yes it wouldn't lo- like lead audiences in a direction to actually interrogate what's being put forward yeah, yeah. which is so exciting it That's is great exciting they say something really... so important so effectively and I'm very excited that they've got another 10 day run in mm. February I'm really excited to see what Emmanuel works on next and hopefully if this group of actors because they work so well together cool if they do anything together as well. I should also say it was... Del- um, pardon me. <laughs> I should also say it was directed by Marin Mount. So so I I, liked, I I feel like as a quintet, that could work very nicely for any other work they want to do. I will go and see it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So Trophy Boys. Mm. Go see it, gang. Hello, James. Yes. Hi, James. <laughs> <laughs> Sound more into it. Get a better intro. <laughs> What do you want me to say? Boom, 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 boom. Yes, that's exciting. <laughs> Make way for Prince Ali. We can't. No, they can't. Suck a good parade. <laughs> Wait, here he comes. Make way. Bang the drums. I got to love this guy. Do you think that all the people in that parade were like made by the genie or did he like enslave them to construct the parade? I think they were all made by the genie. Like, so you just went like, done. <laughs> yes, and, and they were all there. people. Yeah. And then after the parade was done... No well, no, because he's still a prince. So I assume he made an entire kingdom for him to be a prince of in that wish. Right, because to make him a prince... He would need to be the prince of a land, of a kingdom. Right, you can't just, as it sort of looks like, you can't just put a funny hat on him. <laughs> no, because he does come with a whole parade of, you know, elephants and... Don't they look fabulous? You know, like... Yeah. yeah. Anyway... anyway. <laughs> talk about the prestige? <laughs> That's weirdly similar. Hugh Jackman makes a clone so he can do a magical water trick. It is in no way similar. And the genie can like creates life in order to give Aladdin a kingdom. They deus ex machina each other, yes. But, like, that's about it. Either way... Hurry up, I'm bored. <laughs> I went to the MC showroom. I looked at the hole as the lights went hole's down for the show. The hole's still there. The still there. MC showroom, listen. I looked Patch at the it. hole. You should have seen it. I looked at it almost as if I had a long history with this hole. As the lights went down for the show to start, That's I pleased... That's what I to say about my ex-boyfriend. Sorry, go on. <laughs> and I almost looked up at this hole and like nodded at it. Like, <laughs> here we go again. Tip your hat. <laughs> hole. <laughs> um, I went with Sam Porter. What does the hole sound like? What's its voice? 
That's enough. Because it has no tongue or teeth. (laughs) Sam Porter, lovely. Went with Sam Porter. What a man. Yes, so we went to the MC showroom to see reasons to be pretty. Oh. What? what? I don't need any reasons. I just am. You just... uh, For fuck's sake. So we went... (laughs) It's a Neil LeBute play? No, don't know. You don't know about Neil? Neil LeBute. Neil LeBute. Neil LeBute. Neil LeBute. Tell me. Um, He's an American playwright... And he, he's a person that I, like, brushed with because when I was in my undergrad, we had to direct a sh- like, def- I had to, like, find a show to direct an extract from. And he was just a name that I came across while looking for contemporary playwrights. When was he sort of active? Still active? He's still active. Okay. He, like, um, he's... G- around the time that he wrote Reasons to be Pretty, it's a similar time frame to when he wrote Fat Pig and also wrote The Shape of Things. He wrote two shows about you. I don't... I don't. <laughs> Fat Pig. He Sorry, I'm sick. <laughs> he wrote a whole show about it. Um, and maybe I've wrongly grouped these like three plays together, but they're sort of like this, they're very much the source of where I get how I think of Neil LeBute from. Sure. So like, reason to be pretty, shape of things, and fat pig, just because they're sort of like the way that they function thematically is kind of like they feel a bit rom commy sitcommy oh. in that like they're very like. I was thinking about his work yesterday just while I was working because I was bored at work. I was like, I'd rather think about Neil LeBute. And it was like, it almost seems like the sort of play that you could take someone to that only ever really watches TV. And they're like, do we have to go to the theatre? And you could be like, oh no. You mean Friends of the Musical? In a little bit. A little bit, Uh, I do uh, mean that. And you could be like, oh no, they like like New Girl so I can take him to Neil LeBute. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a glowing review. Oh, no, no, it's it's fine. And and part of that is why his work can be done really effectively as this show was, like this production was. For that sort of reason. He also, like, I think probably my favourite Neil LeBute play, which wasn't very critically well-received, and has a lot of shortcomings, honestly. But I think um, he wrote, uh, I think it's called, like, A Hundred Ways to Say I Love You or something. And it was, like, it was a one-woman show that he wrote for Judith Light. And it was about a, uh, like, a school teacher who falls in love with one of her, like, child students. And it's, like, a one-woman oh, show. That rings some bells, actually. Have sure. You, maybe you've spoken to me about that show before. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. I've only ever read that play. I would love to see it done, but yeah, that that's a play of his that I quite like. And he's also written like his collection of short plays called Rex is quite good. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, that exists. Anyway, so I went with Sam Porter. We sat in the front row because they were very, very brave. And we sat down, <laughs> and oh my god, <laughs> the set, James. There was no preset. Oh, I was about to ring the bell. Oh. <laughs> I was about to ring the bell. <laughs> Never mind. But the bell away. What's our current sort of like fantasy set description? A living room. Was it a, no. Was it a living room? James, it was almost the best of both worlds. It was like, on the left, it was like a living roomy, dining roomy area. Ah! Naturalistically constructed. Heaven. And then there's sort of like an entryway in the middle. And on the right hand side, it's like the, a break room at a Costco. Wait, so it's got like the corridor down the middle? Kind of like a, like a, the vague sense of a corridor. Like a the gentleman's way- guide to love and murder? Oh my god, I wish. Oh my god, their oh. performance at the Tonys. Oh. oh my god, the people I've so shown that to who lose interest it's 20 seconds in. <laughs> so stupid they lose interest. It's an amazing performance. It's insane. I have this vivid memory of like, Okay, Natalie, cousin, sister, you need to sit and watch this Tony performance. Look at from the way he leans down this door. Look at the way he leans! Oh my god, it's pure farce. It's, it's like, so good. It's the magic of what farce is delivered in a Tony's performance. Yep. And I watched her eyes glaze over 20 seconds in, and it was like, Natalie, kill her. <laughs> kill her, I say. Oh my god. Don't think kill it was good. Natalie. No, I won't. <laughs> She's got children, and I like her. Okay, those are two, yeah, those are two good reasons not to. <laughs> um, 
So the way it sort of functions energetically in terms of a set, the space on the left is always the dining room, living room of two of the like two of the characters. Mm. The space on the right is always the break room for the Costco that a lot of the staff, like all of the three of the four characters work at. Oh, this does sound sitcom yes. And then the space in the middle is kind of like no man's land. Where it whatever be, they need it to whatever be. Whatever they need it to be. Sure, okay. Yeah. Which is great. That's a great and setup. It means, and it means there's not huge set changes that have to happen. Mm. So, you know, versatile. Same. <laughs> no, sorry. Go on. <laughs> sorry, my game is. I take gone. it back. <laughs> you take it. I back. take it back. As if you'll get complaints. I don't engage <laughs> sexually with at sex. all. No. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, full disclosure: Toby Miller is in the show. Right. He's a pal of mine. He's great. Um. Yeah. Went along. Then the show starts, and then like the opening scene is kind of this like loud, fast, high energy fight between. Toby and his wife, uh, his girlfriend, and they're fighting about this. And so, sort of like the setup of the entire, like what instigates kind of a lot of the action in the piece, is that Toby and his girlfriend, who's played by Paris Valentino, are having this very energetic fight where a goldfish's welfare gets threatened, and they're fighting because she's like, "You said like a terrible thing about me, and I need you to tell me what it is." And he's like, "What are you talking about? What did I even say?" And she's like, "We were at this house the other day, and I heard that you said this thing about me, and you need to tell me what it is." And he's like, "What are you talking about? I didn't say anything." And then gradually, the conversation gets to a point where he confesses to having said to a friend of theirs that um, that th- his girlfriend that is in this fight, he has said to another friend of theirs that even though she isn't that beautiful, he still really likes her. Oh. And so this, of course, has hit her quite hard. Oof. And she just wanted to hear him say that. And then their relationship throughout the play degrades and grows a bit in a, not a positive sense, of course, <laughs> but... Um, but grows because of this conflict. Changes. It changes because of this one thing that he said. Mm. Um, it's a pretty devastating thing to say. Do you think so? I mean, look, I'm a very aesthetically fixated person. Ah. Feign <laughs> no, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Just not how I would have worded it. Audience is silent. Um, yeah, so, so I think if I heard someone say that I was ugly but they still love me, I... If, like, if Flynn, if I knew Flynn had said that, I think I would yeah. feel very sad. Really? Oh, God, yeah, I'd be destroyed. Mm-hmm. My, yeah, yeah. Why would you? What, if if you were in a relationship with someone and they said, "He's not that attractive, but I still like him," I'm imagining it now. Um, I think uh, me being as self-loathing as I am, I would not be surprised by this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be upset, but the mentally unhealthy part of me would be like, "Fair enough." <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, you took a sad thing, made it sadder. I did. I did manage that. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, no, it would feed into an issue that I have to deal with. Uh, which I'd, one? I'd probably uh, which one? Good <laughs> yeah, and no, it wouldn't be the reason that I would leave the relationship. It wouldn't make things healthier. But I imagine if that's the thing that my partner is saying to someone, it wasn't a great relationship to start off with. <laughs> I don't want you to get too stuck in this. Let's keep moving. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, sort of parallel to this as well, we also, of course, so like Toby's character works at this Costco with his friend and that friend's female wife. Wow. Okay, so the husband and wife work together. Uh, yes. So everyone Hell. except the like the ugly girlfriend <laughs> all work together at Costco. You cannot together. call her the ugly girl. In narratively speaking, Paris Valentino sure. is beautiful. Sure. You know, like this whole cast is beautiful. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, Toby's character works with Jake Tollick at Costco. They have like the same job as each other. And then Georgina Charteris, who is Toby's friend's wife, she's yep. a security guard working at the Costco. And they all work together. <laughs> 
Hey everybody, hi, this is Jake from the future. Jake, your stupidest friend. Um, just chiming in to let you know that inexplicably, like, I cannot read a program and have accidentally referred to Prashanti Middling as being Georgina Charteris, who is the director. Uh, Prashanti played, played this character, played the security guard, played Carly. Um, I'm gonna now go sort of, like, through, <laughs> um, as this discussion continues, I'm gonna try to cleanly edit that chain, to, to, to correct that mistake that I do continue making. Um, so if things get clunky and strange, that's what's happening. I just, yeah, want to make sure that, um, the, <laughs> I want to make sure that Prashanti gets appreciated properly in, in the way that we use language. You know what talking is, and I'm over explaining it. Um, but yeah, so please put up with what may, may not be the, the greatest editing you've ever heard, but I'm going to do my, my goddamn damnedest, um, yeah, sorry for not being better at reading programs. Um, hope you're having a good day. <laughs> um, and then what then uh, then comes about happening is like Jake is then. Were you laughing because I didn't say proceeds yes, to happen? I was laughing because you nearly said proceeds. What then proceeds to happen oh. is Jake kind of confides in Toby's character that he's got a crush on this other co-worker person and then starts having an affair with this other co-worker person. Okay. You know, it's kind of like about that type of trust. Yep. Uh and yeah, so that's how that goes. Um, but yeah, and so every, it does the sort of thing. Uh, first off, I'll just let you, just so you don't have this bated breath that I'm sure you somewhat have. I'm ready. With that, as we sort of established last time, if there is a naturalistic living room setting, what is there going to be? Props. Props, of course. But what specific prop and how is it handled? Oh, sure. Okay. We had a whole list of these, Jake. We did. One of them. Um, okay. A pitcher of water. Oh, it's a photo. It's, yes. It's a photo, isn't it? Yes, it's yes. a photo. <laughs> and it gets picked up and emotionally handled. Longingly looked at. Yes. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, no. Nah, phenomenal. Naturalism. Naturalism. More oh, of it. More of it, please. <laughs> um, so, and because it being like the show, of course, it's called like Reasons to be Pretty. It kind of, everyone kind of gets like, what's wrong? I'm so sorry. Go ahead. What? I just thought, what if you had like a naturalistic, completely naturalistic living room and then like above a fireplace is just like this giant executioner's axe and everything else is completely normal. It's just a normal living room yeah. and they're just hung this giant executioner's axe above it and they never use it. I think that's poor set design. I think that's great set design. That's it, like, and some of the lines would be like, God, I wish I could just chop your head off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone looks at the axe, but they never actually use it. I think that's great. Sure. I'm a huge fan of alluding to things and never using them. Yeah, you love like a, like a grand superfluousness. I do, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's really good. Like something that's referenced once and then never again. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big, giant, bloody axe. I think you should get great. into set design. I think that would be an interesting like, t- style of pizzazz to add to the productions you're tied to. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, what I if do we that. added something hilarious? <laughs> Have you considered... <laughs> So I'm looking at this from the prop comedy angle. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you mid-thought. <laughs> what if during this production of The Crucible, someone's <laughs> wardrobe flops open and a bunch of witches' hats falls out? <laughs> the traffic ones! <laughs> <laughs> then a girl uh, panically uh, shoves them back into the cabinet before anyone sees. And no one references it again. <laughs> yeah, I've got ideas. Um... Everyone throughout the show, which is a device that Sam and I sort of hotly discussed after we got out... All of the characters have their own, like, monologue moment. Oh, great. Which oh, happens. great. I love a monologue moment. You yes, do. I do. I love... And I know when every character gets one. I love that. You love that. I think it's great. I think it's a nice little bit of almost Shakespearean sort of 
fun. I love a monologue. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think it's great. Why do you have it? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I guess if you're going to say that, then I guess I'll say the flip side of it, I suppose, which is the thing of like, when a writer inserts these monologue moments, which we've talked talked about in ways in versions of this, Mm. but there's the one thing of like, if everyone gets a monologue moment, it gives you this way to sort of like structurally see how far the play has progressed. If the monologues are bad, it's like, oh, we still have three more to go. Yes. (laughs) Which is not what happened in this one. But, um... Which, uh, part of what I was unpacking with Sam on the walk home, it was like, sometimes a monologue, when it's inserted into a piece, it can feel like, depending on the content of the monologue, but oftentimes it leaves me feeling a bit like, did you not trust me to work this out mm. without this monologue here? Like, if this character hadn't turned to me and been like, isn't it weird how this thing that I'm wrestling with currently oh, sure. in the show is an issue for me in my reality? Here are my thoughts about this issue. It's like, you, no, I agree with you on that. And I, we've discussed this in depth. I think it's annoying when they sort of do the thing of, I'm feeling this way, but I'm actually feeling this. That's annoying. Mm. That's dumb. I love a monologue when it's like beautifully written and, and does something to further the plot without being like, here's what's happening. Right. Like something that it is just a slab of that... gorgeous writing. To- yes. I think yes. That's if it's just a like. slab of gorgeous writing, get rid of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? No. Keep yeah. it in. A slab of gorgeous writing. Just gorgeous and I think else. If it's a good if it's a good engaging actor doing good engaging writing, I think that's a great combo. But it, but that's the thing. If it's engaging writing mm. and it and it like fuels the story and adds something to your experience of the art, that's yeah. great. But if it's just like some like pretty poetry that after you've seen it all you come out of it being like, that was well written and the actor was good. I think um I think it, I would like that. I I think that's fun. I think that's fun. Yeah, I'm there to see people act good. And if they can act good with a fun piece of writing, I think that's good. Sure. I think if it is that sort of monologue where it is to highlight what has already happened and being like, in case you missed it, that's Mm. annoying. Sure. But I think if it's just nicely written text said by a good performer, I'm happy to see it. Okay, interesting. Personally. Sure. And again, this doesn't apply to this show. These these monologues all have a function. To an extent, for sure, yeah. Um, they give so, so Neil Butte has tasked Georgina Charteris with delivering, and I'm interested to hear what you think about this. Hey, remember me? Yeah, it's me again. Uh, yeah. So in right now, I am talking about Prashanti Middling. I said that it's Georgina Charteris, and again, that's the director. Again, the actor is Prashanti Middling, and I talk about this monologue that she does again later. So you'll hear from me again. Don't you worry. Good God, if any. I don't know, if anyone's doing like a, like an animated feature, I'm available to help you piece together the audio because my word, I'm good at it. Um, tasked her with her character, delivers this monologue to us that's about... She's the security guy? She's the security... Mm-hmm. She's... Yes. So she's the wife that's getting cheated on. Yep. And she delivers this monologue about the burden of being beautiful. Okay. Because she's beautiful and she talks about how no one really treats that as a serious issue and it's something that has like been a burden that has weighed on her throughout her life. Sure. And she's tasked with, with it obviously being something that people struggle to sympathize with because it's almost in some ways, in terms of social capital, it's almost like a rich person saying, I have too much money. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah. But yeah, her delivery of it is wonderful. Um, and yeah, and I think, yeah. Do you think that's a real, do you think there's such a thing as, as the burden of being too beautiful? Well, I think absolutely. And I think also in the wake of having seen, like, uh, seeing Gemma Caruana's Underwire recently, um, and yeah, with that as well, it's like the thing of like, it's absolutely, especially with women, it's the yeah. thing of like, if you're a beautiful woman, especially, it seems like it's the case with really all women, but it's uh, especially like beautiful women, like those conspicuously beautiful ones. Yes. Um, it does, it's certainly a thing where it's like, 
day to day they're reminded constantly of their beauty yeah. and it is the source of so much unwanted attention from men mm. that it truly is this pervasive burden for them to live with every day yeah I guess it's different from the money thing because you can just walk down the street and not be like hey I've got all this money totally. but if you are but, just but it's actually beautiful by people that are not victims of this circumstance it's considered by so many people especially those that crave beauty mm. in the same way that people crave money yes it's this belief that it will solve so many of your problems and the privileges that it comes with it's almost like people craving fame it's like yeah. they want it because they believe that it will give them so much that they don't have mm. and it's the reason that they aren't happier to this play, to, was so this play, one of the major things about it was the idea of beauty. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, no, but it was, I think it was super well delivered. She did it so wonderfully. I think it's great. It's 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 nice that they've cast the security guard. They've they've written the security guard as the beautiful character. Sure. Because so often in all mm, perceptions and, and and iterations of security guards, they're just ugly losers <laughs> is literally what they're written as they're written as just ugly losers that are there in the background sure. well I guess in the flip side of that like the way that her character works in this is like as her husband says to the audience it's like he, he says of her in a private moment is like if she weren't so beautiful she wouldn't have got this job in the first, like, first place like what right. would she do if someone broke into this Costco and was doing something insane oh yeah that's interesting like she's not going to be able to do anything mm. is the thing that he says um, yeah, give her which, a gun Give her a cut. Which leads to, like, Jake Tollick's performance of this man, which he does with this, like, surprisingly, like, layered and interesting version. As we, Like, after just talking about Trophy Boys, he plays this very, like, pig-headed, narrow-minded, superficial, like, hyper-man, but in this way that is almost, like, musical theatery, which was... Terrific. An ingredient that I would not have seen coming and was so grateful that it was there. Terrific. It took me about 10 minutes to work out that the reason I thought he was such an interesting, wonderful style of handsome was because he looked like a young Rove McManus. So let, oh. that, let that paint some of your vision. What's Rove up to now? He's producing things. Oh, okay. His show failed in Los Angeles and now I think he's just producing things. Good for him. Great for him. Um, I've only heard negative stories about him in the media. In terms of him. Well, not in the media. I've heard that he's rude to people in like oh. a, on a civilian level. Oh, no. But that's, that's all alleged. Rove, don't be rude. No, no. But maybe he's not. Maybe I just heard from liars. That's what I've heard. But it's irrelevant. We on Praise Dionysus <laughs> are not taking a position on this. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, Rove, come on and clean it up. No, no. No position. <laughs> um, but yeah. No, but that's something I enjoyed about yeah, J- uh, Jake Tollick's performance was how hot he was no 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 i'm not even no i'm just saying that you know sometimes where you're like it was almost the thing where you can't pay attention to what they're doing until you work out what movie they were in before oh sure it was that thing i was like why do i know his face i feel like i'm familiar with the style of face that he has and it was like oh when i was growing up and watching rove (laughs) in 2002 when when the what if section was on what the what the that's right what the i was thinking of marvel Marvel. Marvel What If. There's a TV series they released called What If. It's not the Rogue McManus What The section. It's a different thing. Oh, sure. <sighs> did you enjoy What The when it was on Rogue I loved it. It was the peak of comedy. Did you? Like, what The? Did you spend a lot of your time hoping you would encounter your own What The in the wild and send it in? I think I was too young and I didn't know how I would get a photo and send it in at that point in time. That is advanced technology for back then. For back then it was, yes. <laughs> did you Did you have any What The moments? I had, uh, I was always on the lookout. Sure. I, I just wanted to make people laugh. Flick the switch. Flick your switch. Do you remember that? What is flick the switch? They'd like go to a building and Rove was so popular that people would just all be watching and they'd go to like a building in the city and they'd film the windows and they'd say, flick your switch. And all these windows in the apartment block would flick their lights on. I do on remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did it at the prime minister's house once and they did it. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Oh my God, thank you for reminding me No, it's, it's one of my, it's a pleasant memory. Oh, 
Yeah. Um, they had American accents. Okay. Yeah. Where has your mind just gone? Were they good? They, yeah, I don't know if I can tell if they're good. Uh, Sebastiano knows. American accents have become one of those things where it's like, I can't tell if people ever really speak like this or this is just on television. Yeah. Like, I don't know. What style of American accent were they speaking? Was it New York? Or was it like... No, I wasn't. Is it New York? Or is it Boston? Or was it Cali? Like, what was it? Were they from North Dakota? Or do they have the Minnesota nice? I don't know. I think general American? That's not a thing. Isn't it? No. Is it... I don't think general American exists. I think that like it's just like Australia. Everyone speaks different. I I I don't know. Well, can you do an impression of what they were saying? They would sort of see things like this. That's Minnesota. This is... You're doing Minnesota. <laughs> You're stuck well, in I Minnesota. <laughs> I went to the theater with Sam Porter. <laughs> that's Boston. I'm... Oh no, that's um. What's that SNL skit? Oh god, I knew the California. <laughs> no, not the Californians. Oh, what are you um, thinking? Kate McKinnon doing the murder investigations. Like I knew her. It's Owen's daughter. <laughs> Owen's daughter. Oh, oh, she was doing mayor of East Town. I think so. Yes. I am not good at American accents. Okay, never mind. I, well, it wasn't the Californians, no. which is a terrific SNL skit. So fantastic. Yes. Um. So which breed of American accent? What, I don't know. What, I think, what do you feel when you see an American accent in a play? Yeah. Well, no, that's the thing. So I definitely have that thing of like, it. It feels like unless it's on a screen. It feels like it's not real. Yes. <laughs> yes. It does feel like that. Because even when I meet someone in real life that has an American accent, it is so conspicuously on my brain at all times. I'm like, yeah. you have an American accent. <laughs> and it's poking me in and the ears. it's ear. poking me in the ears. <laughs> okay. Not because it's annoying. It's just like, it's so out of place in my yes. brain uh -huh. that I'm not used to hearing it in real life. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. To hear it outside of the TV is like, it's, it's like seeing someone use... A, a magic spell in real life. Like, that should just exist on a screen. That shouldn't be here. That's not real. Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. It is. It's something. And it definitely meant, and this is just probably because my brain's broken, it meant that while I was watching the entire show, I was parallel imagining it with Australian accents mm, okay. and inventing what I imagined all of their performances to be with Australian accents. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, accents can really alter your perception of a show, can't mm. they? Mm. I... What's it, what's your what's an accent you've never heard on stage that you want to see that I've never heard on stage? Yeah, um, I've never heard a Minnesotan like accent on stage. No, no, I don't think I have. I want to see that. What's an accent? What's a show that's is that like is that like Fargo? Is that Minnesota? Fargo's Minnesotan? Yes. Okay, you want to see that? I want to see that. Okay, I want to see Fargo on stage. <laughs> <laughs> or what was that show? Um, what was that movie? Um, D Drop Dead Gorgeous? Yes. I want to see Drop Dead Gorgeous, the stage adaptation musical. Why isn't that a God, thing? God, please. Come on. Even just a play version. Uh, like a serious Fuck. play. Yes, and uh. so much of it happens on a stage. That's a really good point. That's oh, a really good point. Thank you. Mm. Uh, Listen up, big Hollywood. That would be one of those ones where you could do a really good version of like a like a dinner and a show thing. I think because I yeah. think Drop Dead Gorgeous is such... of it is like a beauty pageant to an audience. Yes, and yeah. I think it's also such a perfect movie that you do not need to try to recapture the magic of what the movie was. Mm. Work out what's magical about it and then turn it into like a dinner and a show what's performance. The, what's the song when Miss the the original Miss Beauty or whatever it was comes out in the wheelchair and they oh, don't her. cry out loud. Don't cry. <laughs> and she's too anorexic to sing it or yes. walk. <laughs> oh my god, that poor girl. The poor girl. <laughs> ha. 
Um, there was this, uh, there was so much really beautiful, I didn't expect to be as moved as I was by the end of Reasons to be Pretty. Okay. I, like, I was gonna cry, but it, because I was next to Sam, I didn't want to, because I'd feel like a loser. And so okay. I, I held it inside. I didn't cry out loud. Much like... Oh, <laughs> there we go, there's the through line, guys, we found it. <laughs> that was a very quick throw. That was nice, <laughs> I like it. Um, so I kept it in, but it was like, yeah, it was just like... Yeah, God. It was like, so it was Paris and Toby's characters, like the ones from the start, the one that he called ugly. Mm, <laughs> so they go through sort of a whole journey where they start, like she starts dating somebody else and then they, they have this sort of like reunion thing sort of at the end of it. And it was so upsetting mm. um, because I forgot that this was the ending of the play because I hadn't read it in so long. But they, oh my God, it was so nice. Okay. They acted it really well. The whole Good. cast was so strong. Great. Um, but the scene between the two of them it was like a standout moments from this like final conversation they had together was like, I think that my favorite part was when she was, was talking about how when they had been together at the start, while they were in it, she had considered them to be like a special pair of people. Mm. And then with it being, then it sort of like exploding as it did, then them, her no longer necessarily believing that. But then him reassuring her that they were special oh, was so upsetting. Sometimes just a good show about love is all you need. Oh, even a bad one. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. I'll take anything. Just take point. anything you can get. That's really lovely. Oh my God. I love that idea that, yeah, just because a relationship has ended, it doesn't mean that it wasn't special. Yeah. Yeah. And the need for that to be validated, like, maybe not even the need, but like the gift of it being validated by the other person you were in it with. Yeah. On the flip side, I do believe the opposite as well. What does that mean? You can have a relationship and get to the other side of it, and because of your own self-preservation, you can just say, that meant nothing to me. Uh. <laughs> you can say that. You can redact, you can retract your, your feelings from that relationship and say, that was nothing. You can retract it in private? Uh, to the person if you would like. But what version do you prefer? Uh, in privately, privately to me, yes. I okay. think you should be able to say, no, that relationship meant nothing to me and it was not important. Okay. Which I think is just as valid and important as being able to say, yes, that relationship was important even though it's over. Uh-huh. I think it's important to be able to do both if you need. Okay, sure. Not and that doesn't feel like that's not emotionally dismissive in yourself. That is you validating something that you are now past. I think, like... yeah, if, you are, if, 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 if holding on to it would damage you more, I think you should be able to just let it go. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's my fun wrap up for that one. Do you yeah. like that? Yeah, no, so nice. And yeah. then I think, I, and then just something that it, the show made me think about was first off, to, the, the, one thing was like the way that my first thought was like, into like the three quarter mark, I started having these thoughts because of what was happening in the play of like, God, do, at this point, do people just get married because it adds, like, because people have like a thirst for drama? Like, love, like, love without marriage. Seems like such a like a sweet, fertile wonderland, <laughs> and then we add marriage to it as if it's just a way of like adding stakes, and locking it down, and locking it down, and and it creates all of these. Uh, I don't know. I, I've for some time now I've had this idea of like when you're in love and there's nothing official about it, and it's just like passion and beauty. It's just like you you're in this like majestic mountainous terrain and it's just like we could go anywhere and do anything. And then you're like, let's commit and let's get married and let's add contracts. And then suddenly 
the, the beautiful grass melts away and these skyscrapers just protrude from the earth and it's like, now we're in this grey city with all these expectations. Some people like living in the city. Sure, but, and, and it's like, uh, and, and it, it, yeah, it's, it felt like three quarters of the way through this play, I was like, do we just get married because love feels too easy, so let's clomp on all these rules and it, it means that mm. escaping is more dramatic. We, all of our friends have to validate how important we are to each other. I don't know, this play made me feel yeah. in moments like, oh... Are we, do we just have this like thirst for drama and rules and I guess there's also the element of um, marriage makes it easier to have a family legally you so, know like makes oh it, yeah there's like, all that, there's all that. Yes. that that's the reason I would want to get married yeah um, but you know I think I think there's definitely a lot of it as well culturally that we've just attached this whole sort of if you really love someone you'll marry them like mm. there is just which is not a new thing to say but that is just yeah. what we are taught and what we're made to believe. And I feel maybe after a few years, as we said earlier on this episode, once love sort of enters, not a, a waning period, but like once it's not that initial sort of honeymoon phase, there is that sort of feeling, right, we need to ramp this back up again. We need to ring the bell and get something going. And so yeah. I think a lot of people do turn to marriage for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's something. And then, yeah, and then that feeling passed, and then by the end of it, on top of being sort of, like, privately upset, <laughs> um, it, it just sort of, like, the, the, the loudest sentence in my head as I was leaving the show was the idea, which is part of what me and Sam unpacked during our walk, was, like, the thought of, like, if it weren't for love, it'd be really, really hard for us to destroy each other the way that we do. Mm, Wow. You know, it's the one thing that kind of equips us all with the weapons necessary to do some real damage to each other. I don't know, give me a gun. But that's sure. But it's I'm like, joking. No, no, but um, even, yeah. But no, you're right. I think, mm. yeah, love is, was definitely an easy way to sort of get under someone's skin and then rip it out. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like, if we didn't mean what we mean to each other, it's then there would be to... no stakes in losing each other. Exactly. Mm. God, that's sad. Yeah, we become harder to hurt. Well, that's, that is, as I think we've said before, that is one of the most tragic things about love is like, once you enter into a loving relationship, it's going to end. Oh my God. The moment you love anything. Like, it's going to end. Yeah. And you'd have no idea how it's going to end, but you know it's going to, and it's going to suck. Mm. Yep. Yep. That is tragic, isn't it? The trick is never fall in love. I actually came up with my own trick just then as you were describing What's your trick? What you do is you find a surgeon that knows how to turn you into some sort of like conjoined creature that is being sustained off at least one or two shared organs. Then, after a happy, presumably rather brief life of living as this creature, you both inject poison at the same time. Those conjoined organs are targeted by this poison and you die together as one love beast. Okay, so you didn't <laughs> you didn't clarify that you need to be in love with this creature. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you're of course in love. You fall in love, and maybe instead of marriage, you find this surgeon. What if you fall out of love while you're then sewn together? Ah, uh, then I guess it's like a stuck on you style rom com. <laughs> so you see, this plan has some flaws. And yeah, what well, I it's... you find the so the doctor from American Dad. <laughs> if he's available. He's... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you'll be available. But there, I solved it. That's the one way to ensure that your love ends with you. Okay, so we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> um, sounds like a great show. Let's yeah. wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, wonderfully strong cast. Really, like, cool energy. Like, the thing kept moving. And one of the things that me and Sam both remarked upon as we were leaving, like, it was engaging the whole time. Oh, thank God. Like, there were weird bits. There were strange parts that, like, some of the character choices were really fun. Like, especially from Jake, there was, like, really surprising, weird stuff coming out of him. Mm. Like, everyone... Yeah, Toby, of course, as well. Like, he's so... Uh, 
he's so uniquely expressive and he's so sort of effortless, effortlessly tender. Like, there was so much across the board happening from everybody that just made everything. We also, like, something too that I'll just briefly remark upon mm. is, like, really, really loving, like, the semiotic... The, the, the way that you can, like... The aesthetic of female misery as it pertains to, like, heartbreak in media. So, like, even with... Even, like, when Paris comes out after having been devastated by this ugly revelation, mm. she's in, like, all velour and big sunglasses. And the way that that looks like a really upset woman being forced to go into public. And when Georgina's going through it as well, like her sitting at this like work break bench in her work uniform, eating melted ice cream, like the way that mm. the, the look of that misery and how recognizable it is, is just something that I'm into. Yeah, you know what I'm gonna say? Yeah, I wish you could have been there to see Prashanti Middling eating that ice cream under the direction of Georgina Charteris. Back to the episode. Yeah, what was that? Was it, is it Anna Taylor-Joy, is that her name? Anya Taylor-Joy? Anya Taylor-Joy. Why are you thinking about her? Was she in the menu that's just come out? I think someone said that she is. I haven't yeah, seen her. Yeah, she does. I just saw an interview with her recently where she um, was speaking about a moment of feminine rage that she had. And the script was initially for her to be like not really do much and just be sad. And she was like, no, if I'm sad, I'm going to do something. Mm. And so she had to, she she asked if she could slap her co, co her partner in the scene because that's what she would do if she was angry. And she expressed it as... Um, fighting against the quiet feminine rage that is so often on screen. Right. And I think that it sounds like a, not, not, not necessarily the same thing, but it sounds like a similar sort of vein of just like, yeah, this idea of just, I don't know. No, that's interesting to, in women, the way, that, yeah, no, that's interesting in the way that like it is at odds with, because the, the quiet feminine rage is of course almost like tropey at this point, yes. for sure. And like a single tear rolling down the cheek she was talking about. Being right. sort of quiet, r- r- controlled feminine rage that is so often seen in mothers. Like, um, we watched Love Actually recently. Mm. Um, and is it Emma Thompson? Is she yeah. is that Emma Thompson? When when the Jodie Mitchell scene? Yes. Tragic. And a really good example of quiet feminine rage because that's what a, what a mother in that situation is often expected to do. Mm. But I think... I don't know where I'm going with this now. I'm now just talking about how much I love Emma Thompson. No, that's great. No, you're going somewhere really interesting because I yeah often think about the thing of like the danger of like... And it's maybe a little bit tied to the thing of, like, my father being like, if we didn't have names for emotions, we wouldn't feel them all the time. God, devastating it's, thing to say. In a way, it's almost like a thing that, um, that when we see emotion depicted on screen and in media, we do, to an extent, internalise the idea of, like, this is what those emotions look like. Yes. And so often we, I'd, I'd say, subconsciously compare and imitate the way that we see other people express emotion too. Mm. And there must be something damaging, or there's definitely at least something formative about the way that we see emotional responses and emotions themselves depicted back at us from the stories. That and we, from such an early age. Completely. And yeah. it's like, oh, so th- this behaviour should make me sad. And when I'm sad, I should I do should things do like this. this. And if I'm sad, this is how I should look, or this is how I will look. Well, I mean, that's how, yeah, isn't that just like how the patriarchy works as well? I've seen this is how well, men do this. how the media this. works, right? Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's the yeah. point, like, almost kind of like, part of the point of storytelling is mm. to teach people how people have behaved in the past because of things that have happened to them in the mm. past. And things will continue to happen, and these are ways that people have dealt with it in the past. And if you never see an example of the way that you may organically want to behave when something happens to you, you're likely to fall back on these tried and true methods that people have displayed for you. And if, like, be, like women generally, like, if they don't yeah. have, a, like, a, a well, like, a, like, a wide spectrum of, uh, like, responses and, like, emotions to have ingested in the stories that they're told, they'll believe that there's only certain ways to do things. Yeah. And I'd say that's true of, kind of, like, 
any minority, really, like anybody, I suppose. Yeah, that sees himself reflected in TV. Yeah, if you've never seen someone like you do something like what you want to do, that's a special type of lonely, I suppose, and would make it much harder to do. I guess it's one of the special things about seeing theatre is because they're right there in front of you having that feeling, and I think that feels different than seeing it on a TV screen up close, because it's not up close, it's from a distance, it's personal and impersonal, and I feel like there's just such a difference, because it's different every night. Mm. It's different every night. I love feelings. Yeah. No, it's nice. And it's, and it's a special type of validating because you're seeing it occupy that person's body. Mm. You know, like the way that Georgina gave that I'm a victim of my own face monologue um, is a performance that I'll be thinking about for a while just in the way that it filled her up. And it was like, she was, yeah, again, tasked with delivering this thing that not a lot of people have a lot of sympathy for. Mm. But her delivery of it is something that I'll be thinking about a lot. Uh, yes, obviously, I am talking about Prashanti Middling's delivery of that monologue. Um, and while I'm here, I guess, I also just want to bring up a thing that I didn't bring up when I was talking to James, not because I couldn't discuss this in front of him, but let's pretend that is why, oh my God, now that he's gone, you and me, we can just sit down and finally talk about um, a, a part of uh, her monologue and part of her wonderful delivery of this monologue um, was something that Neil wrote and then Prashanti delivered really wonderfully was this idea of like, um, she in the in the play thinking about having a baby and then coming to sort of the, the conclusion that she wishes for her child to be nothing more than pretty in terms of their their looks, um, which I just bring up because um, I didn't when I was talking to James and that too is a thing that I've been thinking about as well. Um, so I'm not going to pull a weird sort of, I don't know, audio maleficent and hope that your <laughs> potential looming children aren't too stunning or too hideous. Um, because I don't want to intrude um, upon your maybe future fetus. Uh, you're welcome. Um, but yeah, that's just something that has been on my mind. So anyway, <laughs> let's let's finish this conversation. It might be a surprisingly brief conclusion to come. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so anyway. Don't stare at me silently. You to say something. You were saying something. Um, we've laughed. We've cried. We've gone. Woo! We've had a good time. I haven't cried today. But is that what you're referring to? Today? No, I just mean in the course of this podcast, we've spoken about a lot of different things. Yes. Oh, you said oh, okay. We laughed and cried. And we laughed and cried. We had a good time. In Don't a worry about it. It's fine. Sense. It's fine. Okay, thank you yes. for sticking with us this long. I know it's been quite a long one. Yeah, yeah. This has been a hefty guy. Yeah, no. Thanks for being here. It's nice to have you. Mm. Mm. <laughs> We're talking to you, sweet listener. Just so you're aware. Not of that. to each other. Yes. Yeah. Or a random child in the corner that doesn't speak. <laughs> no, is that is Horace. No, I need to immediately puncture that there is no child in the corner. That will be on my mind. <laughs> He's not speaking. You'll never know. <laughs> um. Anyway, yes. Um. As usual, we may already disagree with everything we just said. Mm-hmm. Friends don't let friends become theatre critics. That is red hot information. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and yeah, have a great whatever thing you're doing. <laughs> nice, Jake. Really, really succinct. Um, if you if you're doing any shows, let us know about them. Especially if you're planning shows for the new year, let us know about them. We'll come along and see them. We'll talk about them on this show right here. Mm. And I hope it's going well. Whatever stage you're at in your creative process. Stage. So, oh yes. Oh, oh, oh that's good. That's, oh, that's well, strong. That's Let's close on that. That's good. You gonna make a spooky sound? I thought you were gonna close. I thought you were gonna close. Oh, yeah, good, good. Woo!